With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Talk Recorded live. Spectral Radiography Sources Program is seeking to develop a suite of laser-driven radiation sources. By using a common laser to drive these multiple sources, one can gather more information about the structure being scanned. X-rays, protons, electrons, ultraviolet, and positron radiation probe for different material defects. DoD systems are increasingly relying on non-destructive evaluation techniques to increase the serviceable life of military platforms. The Hyperspectral Radiography Sources Program is seeking to develop a suite of laser-driven radiation sources. The common piece of all of these sources is an ultra-intense femtosecond laser pulse. To amplify the short pulse, one must first stretch the pulse in time by making some of the wavelengths of the pulse travel longer than others in a device called, appropriately enough, a pulse stretcher. The pulse then travels through an amplifier to boost its energy and is then sent through a pulse compressor that reverses the process of the pulse stretcher. The compressed pulse can contain over a joule of energy while still being less than 100 femtoseconds long. The resulting intensity approximates environments not seen outside the core of stars. These ultra-intense, ultra-short pulses will be used to seed radiation modules in the HRS program. The Hyperspectral Radiography Sources program is developing high-brightness monochromatic electron beams using a technique called laser wakefield acceleration. In this process, a very intense ultra-short laser pulse is fired at a helium gas jet. The laser pulse creates a plasma in which the electrons of the gas are separated from the atoms. The oscillating electric field of the laser pulse causes the particles in the plasma to form a wake, like a boat moving through the water. The electrons, having been separated from the atoms, ride on this wave much like surfers catch a wave into the beach. These electrons are accelerated to nearly the speed of light, with beam energies as high as 1 GeV having been demonstrated. The HRS program will turn these proof-of-principle experiments into usable electron beam technology. The Hyperspectral Radiography Sources program is developing high-brightness monochromatic X-ray beams. A portion of an intense, ultra-short laser pulse is focused on a gas jet to produce a bright electron beam. Another laser pulse is focused onto the bunch of electrons. The photons of the laser pulse scatter off the electrons, producing monochromatic X-ray pulses. These monochromatic X-rays will be useful probes for medicine and material evaluation. The Hyperspectral Radiography Sources Program is developing extreme ultraviolet light sources. A femtosecond laser pulse is sent into an optical cavity whose length is matched precisely to the round-trip time of the pulse. If the phase and timing of the next laser pulse matches the pulse that traveled around the cavity, the intensity of the two will add. Eventually, the light in the cavity becomes sufficiently intense to enable high harmonic generation in which the electrons in the atoms of an inert gas jet scatter off the atomic core, producing intense pulses of ultraviolet.
those are your chemtrails, by the way. That's why you see those lines up there. Climate exchange. Carbon trading taxes. Disaster capitalism. Deliberate droughts. Crop failures. Deliberate flooding. Food inflation. Super tornadoes. New World Order. June Engineering Watch. of every dollar that they're paying in taxes is going to the military. It's an astonishing figure. There's an enormous, enormous amount of money being blown on war and killing and destruction. But well, well, break this down. Break this down a little bit. You know, how much money and where's it going? Well, look, there's a $3 trillion 2011 budget proposal. It'll probably go a little higher, but the bailers do. But, you know, so let's round it up, $3 trillion that uh, is being proposed for the next year. Um, and of that, that includes a direct Pentagon budget request of $717 billion at this point. That'll also rise, as it always does. There's a proposal for $158 billion. They call, now they call it contingency fund uh, for the two wars, but that'll rise. Then you got $40 billion in black box intelligence funding that doesn't get written in the budget, but reason what is that? They never tell us how much they spend on the CIA and the NSA and the DIA and all these different intelligence activities, which are all war-related. But uh, a couple of years ago, there was a error in testimony in the Congress that leaked that the black budget on intelligence was $37 billion. But I suspect that it's probably closer to 50 or $60 billion because if you think about it, the CIA is basically running the predator uh, operation in Pakistan, and that's got to be hugely expensive. So, you know, I suspect that the intelligence budget is probably more, much more than $40 billion I gave it. Then you got another almost $100 billion in non-Department of Defense military spending, and that includes things like uh, the military portion of NASA, military spending by the State Department. Remember, they hire all those military contractors to guard their uh, embassy operation in Iraq and their embassy operation in Afghanistan and so on. It's pretty huge. Then you've got the Homeland Security budget that is largely military, and then the VA, $123 billion in veterans' benefits for the uh, damaged goods from all our wars. And finally, there's $400 billion in interest on the debt to pay for our prior wars, and that's just the interest. So that all adds up to $1.6 trillion. $1.6 trillion? And sort of like, how does that compare to the uh, recent health care bill? Like, where, what's the. Oh, the recent health care bill was a trillion dollars for 
10 years, over 10 years. But we're talking about 1.6 trillion in one year. 1.6 trillion dollars. So we could have, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Next time you hear that the government needs to cut funds for providing medical care to the children of laid-off workers or that supplemental unemployment funds are running out, next time you hear that federal funds that are needed to fund extra teachers at your school are being cut or that Social Security benefits need to be cut back or retirement age needs to be increased to 70, next time you hear your local post office has to be shut down for lack of funds, next time you hear that Medicare benefits need to be reduced, think about that 53% of your tax payment that's going to finance the most enormous war machine the world has ever known. And that's the truth. Hey everybody, this is Dave from Verified News, uh, FreedomWatch.us channel, and today we're going to get started on uh, where this debt we're all so enslaved by came from, and uh, this is going to be True History of the United States, Part 1, where we're going to examine the Treaty of 1783 between Great Britain and the United States, which secured our supposed independence. Now, first of all, I'm going to read who the parties are. Well, the United States of America is one party. Now, on the other side, you have one party also. But he's occupying many, many offices, and this is my what I want to point out. Now, the first part of this treaty is written as if we just want to, you know, that King George just wants to make himself sound important with a bunch of flowery text, and so that's what it seems like when you read it. It's written to to read that way, so that you don't really pay attention to what's being said. But now, I'm going to read very carefully. The first clause of the Treaty of 1783, which identifies the parties. And I'm going to stop when it goes to, and the United States of America. So it goes, uh, this, what I'm about to read, and then the other party, the United States of America, I didn't write that in. Okay, it having pleased the divine providence. Okay, so... Now I have to look up providence, I guess, to find out exactly what that means. But we'll move, we'll move on. To dispose the hearts of the most serene and most potent King George, uh, Prince George III. Now, there should be a who there. They took that out. Paris Peachtree, done at Paris, the third day of September in the year of our Lord, 1783. I can't believe we're doing this. I know, but it is necessary to avoid more bloodshed. Hey, how you doing, Joe? So, do we get our freedom? Yeah, yeah. Well, read this. So, you get all this land, we inaugurate your ass, pretty good deal, you know? Hear ye, hear ye!
probably to make it less specific and and it doesn't change the meaning of it but it it, it what it says is what it actually says is most potent prince george the third who by grace of god is the king of britain is the king of france and the king of ireland and is the defender of the faith and is the duke of brunswick and who is the Lune, uh, duke of lunenburg who's also the arch treasurer and prince elector of the holy roman empire that's king george well, let's back it up and look at that again Okay, so we've got Prince George, who, by the grace of God, is also the king of Great Britain. He's also the king of France. Says so right there. Says so right there in English construction. Um, and this makes sense because at the time France was suzerain to King George, which means subject. Well, that's really interesting because France financed us in our war. So King George, acting as the King of France, financed the revolution. Well, why would he do that? Well, maybe just to make money on the interest. Okay, so he's also the King of Ireland. He's the defender of the faith, which means maybe he's actually the Pope, too. I don't know. Um, Duke of Brunswick, blah, blah. And what caught my eye most specifically the arch-treasurer and prince-elector of the Holy Roman Empire. Now, I've looked into the Holy Roman Empire. It ceased. It pretty much ceased to exist in 1902, or the office of the emperor of... The last emperor died in 1902 of the Holy Roman Empire. Now, the arch-treasurer... I think may still be around. I don't know. I'm I'm going to put it up his right here. You can see these are his uh, colors, or what do they call that? His sigil, his uh, coat of arms. There you go. That's the arch treasurer of the Holy Roman Empire coat of arms. So the, the Holy Roman Empire is copyright on that coat of arms right there. And I'm using the coat of arms as an educational con in an educational context. So. Point being is, if you find that coat of arms somewhere, that's going to be the arch treasurer of the Holy Roman Empire in his current office, whoever he is. You see what I mean? It could be, it could be Timothy Geithner for all we know. Okay. Point being is that the Holy Roman Empire is a party of interest to the Treaty of 1783, so they're involved. All right. Now you notice that. Prince George is like the king of Britain, he's the king of France, Ireland, he's the defender of the faith, he's Duke of Brunswick and Lumberg, but he's only the arch-treasurer and prince-elector of the Holy Roman Empire. So he's like a cleric, clerk in relationship to the Holy Roman Empire, but he's the king of all these other things, so that tells me the Holy Roman Empire is the real power here. I could be wrong, it's just speculation, but it's verified that the Holy Roman Empire is a party of interest to the Treaty of 1783. Now, the second part of it I want to go down to focus on. Now, you go articles 2 through 5, 2 through 4 is like boundaries, who can go where, this, that, and the other thing. Then we get to Article 5. 
Article 5 says, It is agreed that Congress shall earnestly recommend it to the legislatures of the respective states to provide for the restitution of all the states' rights and properties which have been confiscated belonging to real British subjects and also the estates' rights and properties of persons resident in districts in possession of on His Majesty's arms who have not borne arms against the said United States, and that persons of any United States and therein to remain 12 months unmolested in their endeavors to obtain the restitution of such of their estates, rights, and properties as may have been confiscated. And that Congress shall also earnestly recommend to the several states a reconsideration and revision of all acts or laws regarding the premises so as to render the said laws or acts perfectly consistent not only with justice and equity, but with that spirit of conciliation which on the return of the blessings of peace should universally prevail. And the Congress shall also earnestly recommend to the several states that the estates, rights, and properties of such last-mentioned persons shall be restored to them, they refunding to any persons who may now be in possession the bona fide price where any has been given, which such persons may have paid on purchasing any of the said lands, rights, or property since the confiscation. And it is agreed that all persons who have any interest in confiscated lands, either by debts, marriage, settlements, or otherwise, shall meet with no lawful impediment in the prosecution of their rights. So the United States agreed that Great Britain and all other interested parties have a right to be paid for the confiscated lands. Now, the winner of a war doesn't pay. We lost. Or, I should say, the founding fathers won. They got their country and they got all the people to agree to pay for it. Does this sound familiar? Isn't there a corporation called the United States Incorporated that's running up a huge debt and conned us all into paying for it? I don't know. You figure it out. What do you think? Comments below. Um, anyway, this is... Uh, Hi, my name is Alan Lamont. I'm going to talk about the royal bloodlines. I've shared in other messages how our governments are ruled by the royal bloodlines all across the earth. It's the royal bloodlines, it's the aristocratic bloodlines that have really ruled world politics for hundreds of years. Uh, but I'm going to give you know names and, and, and just evidence for this and information that you can go and research. Uh, to give more specific information on this uh, revelation, I mean, I mean, a lot of people do know this information, but I mean, did you know that all 43 U.S. presidents have carried European royal bloodlines into office? 34 have been genetic descendants from just one person, uh, Charlemagne, the brutal 8th-century king of the Franks. 19 of them directly descended from King Edward III of England. In fact, the presidential candidate with the most royal genes has won every single American election as president. 
This information comes from Box Peerage. It's excellent. I'd advise you to go on and read that on Google. That's Box Peerage. B-U-R-K-E-S. Peerage. Box Peerage. Uh, which is really the, the Bible of aristocratic uh, and royal genealogy. It's based in London. And it reveals, you know, a lot of revelation. But also, every presidential election in America, that since and including George Washington in 1789, even to Bill Clinton and today, uh, you know, the presidents who have won the elections have had the most British and French royal genes. Of the 42 presidents to Clinton, 33 have been related to two people, Alfred the Great, the King of England, and Charlemagne, who, you know, was the most famous monarch of France. And so it goes on. 19 of them are related to England's Edward III, you know, who has 2,000 blood connections to Prince Charles. The same goes with the banking families in America. Uh, George Bush and Barbara Bush are from the same bloodline, the Pierce bloodline, that's what it's called. Uh, which name is changed from Percy when it crossed the Atlantic. Percy is one of the aristocratic families of Britain to this day. They were involved in the gunpowder plot to blow up Parliament at the time of Guy Fawkes. I'll share more, but really there's other, other information I'll bring, but the royal bloodlines do control parliaments, politicians, and you know that's the truth. They are you know, connected to royal households through bloodline. That's the president, the prime ministers. This is the system of control that has been established. This is the establishment, you know. This is the establishment. Uh, secret is kept hidden, and that's the truth. So it's not just that they are lovely trained, that they go to Jesuit universities, that is these presidents or prime ministers. It's not even just that they're subordinate to Rome or the Vatican, or that even the royal households govern them. It's the fact that they are actually related to the royal households. So this is all one big bloodline controlling the earth. I mean, if America also declared its independence from the European monarchies in 1776, how is it possible that every single president has descended from European monarchs? The answer is because they are their family. It's one big family. They keep it in the family. Now, if presidents are democratically uh, elected, as we are told, uh, you know, <laughs> what are the odds that we would always choose members of the British and French royal bloodlines to lead us? If you're American, listen to me, you need to ask that question. Why is it every president of your nation is connected to the royal family in Great Britain? That's because the Crown Corporation of London governs the United States, they are nothing but states of the crown. Still are. That's why every president who has, you know, the bloodline of the British monarchs is put in office. America has always been owned and governed by royal families, the black nobility of Europe, uh, but it's actually the British royal family that governs over America. You can see that when you read its history. It's not the land of the free, as everyone uh, claims it is. 
people say, you know, anyone can become president. That's deception. That's a lie. You know. So, that's the truth of it. These men are chosen in advance. They are trained by the Jesuits from Jesuit alumni universities. And, you know, most people know this, so I'm not going to explain that. You know, uh, most people understand the revelation that, you know, there is no election process. It's all one big deception. You know, they know who they're going to position in the power and they're all, uh, you know, one big bloodline. I mean, okay, you know, more revelation here. Uh, you know, the New England Historic, do you know, uh, the New England Historic uh, Genealogical Society traced connections that uh, the U.S. American presidents, George W. Bush himself, is directly related to 16 former U.S. presidents, including George Washington. Uh, Franklin Pierce, Abraham Lincoln, Ulysses Grant, uh, Rutherford B. Hayes, uh, James Garfield, uh, Grover, Cleveland, Teddy Roosevelt, William A. Taft, Calvin Coolidge, Herbert Hoover, Frank D. Roosevelt, Richard Nixon, and Gerald Ford. George W. Bush was related to 16 former U.S. presidents. Bush also is closely, and obviously, you know, Obama's president today, but I'm covering it because Bush has more connections to this, uh, you know, British Empire royal bloodline. Bush is closely related to the King of Albania and his kingship with every member of the British royal family in the House of Windsor. He's related to 20 British dukes, um, the 13th cousin of Britain's Queen Mother and a daughter of Queen Elizabeth. He is the 13th cousin, once removed from Prince Charles, and has direct descent from King Henry III, Charles II, Edward I of England, through the House of Windsor, and King Henry III. And the Bushes and Bill Clinton are genetically related as well. According to Box Peerage also, even according to the official genealogy, Bill Clinton actually is genetically related to the House of Windsor, the present royal family in Britain and to every Scottish monarch, to King Henry III of England and to Robert I of France. In 2004, George W. Bush ran as Republican against Democrat John Forbes, Kerry, who was actually also his 16th cousin, so Kerry and Bush were cousins. These cousins related to the same British and French monarchs are also secret society, members of the infamous Skull and Bones fraternity at the tomb at Yale, which is actually governed by the Jesuit order, uh, John Kerry descends from King Henry II of England and Richard the Lionheart, who was the leader of the Third Christian Crusade in 1189. He also has links to royals in Albania, Sweden, Norway, that's royalty. In Albania, Sweden, Norway, Denmark, Russia, Persia, France, but still not enough royal genes to top Bush. Early in 2000, we see the same story. Uh, you know, you saw the whole thing. George W. Bush in 2000 ran against, uh, you know, Al Gore and, you know, won the election. Now, Al Gore is a descendant of Edward I, <laughs> here we go, Roman Emperor Louis and Charles II, and Al Gore is a direct descendant of Charlemagne, which makes him a distant cousin of Richard Nixon. Oh, God, you know, they're all one big bloodline. 
George W. Bush. So the top Democrat candidate against Bush in 2000 and 2004 were actually cousins. So there you go again. You know, it's it's just outrageous. You know, when you when you really research the truth and realise that, of course, the the, the Vatican always places uh, people, you know, a bloodline into uh, political office and presidential office, and you know, you know, uh, all world leaders across the earth are related to one another, and it all ties back to, and it's all connected to the centre of power, which is the Crown Corporation, which is the British monarchy, the House of Windsor. And so, okay, that's the revelation, really. Uh, I mean, the British line goes back from Prince William and Harry through Prince Charles and Prince Diana, well, previous Diana, to Queen Elizabeth II, King George, King Edward, King Victoria, King Edward, King George, then it passes through King James, the first two ordered and financed the most widely read version of the Bible before James came Mary Stuart, King John, and then, you know, he was the son of the Magna Carta. And back to the Plantagenet uh, and Habsburg dynasties under the Roman Empire. Other branches carried the bloodlines to Scotland, Austria, Germany, Spain, Sweden, and Mexico. Uh, this same bloodline also includes key Scottish families like the Lords of the Galloway, uh, Napoleon Bonaparte, you know, Mary Louise of Austria, who married Napoleon Bonaparte, Kaiser William II, the King of Germany. Really, what I'm revealing here is that not just the British monarchy, but all, listen to this, all royal houses across Europe are all related. That's right. And they all rule. And all of the politicians and presidents that we see ruling our governments, they are all distant cousins, they're all related to these royal households. They serve these royal households. They're ruled over by the royal households. That's the, that's the real structure. And so, you know, I'm bringing out again, but with more information, and I'm going to do more on this, because it's a very, very interesting subject. Uh, many people believe that uh, these bloodlines go back to the time of uh, Alexander and Nebuchadnezzar and back to Babylon. I mean, I have no evidence for that, so I'm not going to push that out just because I've read that somewhere. I don't do that. I research information and I go and find out if it's accurate. And if it is, I'll share it. I, I don't know if it goes back to Babylon. I wouldn't say that. People that push that information, they've got to be careful. Because they don't actually give any evidence for that. I find that. People can say, you know, even that there are reptilians, you know, uh, the House of Winter, reptilian bloodline and all of this. And David Icke pushes that. Not one bit of evidence for that. It's just a theory. And the same with the, all of these religions, sorry, all of these royal bloodlines in Europe. All, you know, you can trace them back to Babylon. Everyone that says that, never brings any evidence, so I'm not even going to go down those roads, you know. No way. It's bring truth, and that's it. So, uh, Also, Obama, here's just another one to throw in. Obama is the eighth cousin with Dick Cheney. Did you know that? <laughs> Obama is related to Dick Cheney. And they're ninth cousins. Also with Brad Pitt. <laughs> uh, he's descended from six other U.S. presidents, and he and his wife are members of the globalist CFR secret society working towards world government. And also, did you hear that Hillary Clinton is related to Madonna? Oh, do you know? And Angelina Jolie. Jolie works for the UN, and she's also a CFR as well. It's all one big royal family, folks. That's it. Ruling our nations, ruling our governments. It's the monarchs that rule. And that is the true revelation of the New World Order. 
and I want to bring that out. Uh, if you want to give some feedback, you can. You're welcome to. You know, uh, I'm going to put. I have documents that were printed back in 1922. I'm going to put on the web if we can get it up tonight. Uh, back in 1922, 32, and 40 in which the old ancient British Israel World Federation founded back in the late 1700s by the British royalty under the auspices of the Vatican, in which they talked about the coming new order of the world, the new world order, and they based it on the old pyramid pyramidology. But I've got about five different places we're going to put on the web for you to read it. I'm not just saying it, read it. It says that the very end of civilization as we know it and the beginning of the new order of the world will come in September of 2001. In the mid of September 2001, the British Israel World Federation operating behind the British throne in England and operating out of the Vatican will make its final and last assault on the world of politics. And it says September, mid-September will be the date and this is far back as 1922. September, mid-September 2001 will be the mark. That's the date that's been set up for the last and final assault by the British-Israel World Federation behind British royalty to consummate and complete their plan for a new order of the world. I'm telling you, all of this stuff that's going on has been written for a long time, but if you don't know anything about the Anglo-Israel World Federation, if you don't know where the money comes from, uh, if you're not aware of the fact that uh, so many of our so-called cults in this country, like the Jehovah's Witnesses, Mormons, Seventh-day Adventists, Worldwide Church of God, are all British-Israel cults that are being financed out of London, MI5 and MI6. If you don't understand the way this tune works and how the words are connected and the secret societies are, uh, operating throughout Europe, if you don't understand how this stuff is working, you're never going to figure it out, and you're going to be ushered into a whole new order of the world, and you're going to lose your country, you're going to lose your freedom, you're going to lose it all, and these people are playing for a high-stakes game. And I'm telling you, when you read 1922 and 1932 articles written, who wrote that stuff? It's, it's written by the world. It's called the British-Israel World Federation. Now, when you understand British-Israel World Federation is actually financed and organized out of London by MI5, British Intelligence, and it is connected directly to the Vatican, now you begin to understand why where Adolf Hitler comes from, what the Second World One at first and Second World War were all about, and it's... Yeah, and then when you read, it says September, mid-September, September 17th uh, of 2001 is when everything's going to break loose. And mid-September, that's when the whole thing begins. And its final ultimate assault on the world is coming. And we are planning it for mid-September of 2001. That's back in 1922.
the United States has always been and still is a British crown colony. King James I was famous not for just changing the Bible into the King James Version, but for signing the first Charter of Virginia in 1606. That charter granted America's British forefathers a license to settle and colonize America. The charter also guaranteed that future kings and queens of England would have sovereign authority over all the citizens and colonized land in America stolen from the Indians. After America declared its independence from Great Britain, the Treaty of 1783 was signed. That treaty specifically identifies the King of England as the Prince of the United States and contradicts the belief that America won the War of Independence. Although King George III of England gave up most of his claims over his American colonies, he kept his right to continue receiving payments for his business venture of colonizing America. If America had really won the War of Independence, they would never have agreed to pay debts and reparations to the King of England. When Congress passed the 13th Amendment to the Constitution, the U.S. President was made subservient to the King of England. The 13th Amendment is called the Title of Nobility Amendment and forbids U.S. Presidents and their officials from using royal titles like King or Prince or Baron. For some mysterious reason, the 13th Amendment, which was ratified in 1810, no longer appears on current copies of the Constitution. America's blood-soaked war of independence against the British bankrupted America and turned its citizens into permanent debt slaves of the king. In the War of 1812, the British torched and burned to the ground the White House and all U.S. government buildings and destroyed ratification records of the U.S. Constitution. One century later, a corrupt U.S. Congress committed the biggest theft in world history. They passed Paul Warburg's Federal Reserve Act in 1913 handing over America's gold and silver reserves and total control of America's economy to the Rothschild banksters. Most Americans still believe that the Fed or Federal Reserve is a government. It is not. The Fed is a privately owned banking system whose majority Class A shareholders are the Rothschilds, Warburgs, Kuhn and Loeb, J.P. Morgan, Rockefeller, Israel Seif, and the Lehman Brothers. This private banking cartel is the Fed and is never audited and never pays taxes. They print and design America's money, which displays their symbols in the Egyptian pyramid and the sonic all-seeing eye and the words in God we trust. Who exactly is the God they trust? They also collect American taxpayers' money through the IRS. Then they loan it back again with interest to pay for roads, bridges, and other public works. American presidents are hand-picked and financed by these special interest power groups. Like George W. Bush, John Forbes Carey, whose initials are JFK, is a member of Yale University's Skull and Bones Brotherhood. The Forbes part of John Kerry's name identifies his descendancy from Captain Robert Bennett Forbes, who was a drug runner for the Rothschild's opium drug trade with China in the 1800s. Most U.S. citizens believe that the United States is a country and that the president is the most powerful man on earth. The United States is not a country. It is a corporation, and the president is president of the corporation of the United States. He and his elected officials work for the corporation, not for the American people. Since the United States is a corporation, who owns the corporation of the United States? 
Like Canada and Australia, whose leaders are prime ministers of the Queen and whose land is called Crown Land, the United States is just another Crown Colony. Crown Colonies are controlled by the empire of three city-states. At the center of each city-state is a towering, phallic-shaped stone monument called an obelisk that points skyward. In D.C. city-state, the obelisk, known as the Washington Monument, was dedicated to Freemason George Washington by the Freemason Grand Lodge of the District of Columbia. A third city-state was officially created in 1982. That city-state is called the District of Columbia and is located on 10 square miles of land in the heart of Washington. The District of Columbia flies its own flag and has its own independent constitution. Although geographically separate, the city-states of London, the Vatican, and the District of Columbia are one interlocking empire called Empire of the City. The flag of Washington's District of Columbia has three red stars, one for each city-state in the three-city empire. This corporate empire of three city-states controls the world economically through London's inner city, militarily through the District of Columbia, and spiritually through the Vatican. The Constitution for the District of Columbia operates under a tyrannical Roman law known as Lex Fori, which bears no resemblance to the U.S. Constitution. When Congress passed the Act of 1871, it created a separate corporate government for the District of Columbia. This treasonous act allowed the District of Columbia to operate as a corporation outside the original Constitution of the United States and outside of the best interests of American citizens. A sobering study of the signed treaties and charters between Britain and the United States exposes the shocking truth. The United States has always been and still is a British crown colony. King James I was famous not for just changing the Bible into the King James Version, but for signing the first charter of Virginia in 1606. That charter granted America's British forefathers a license to settle and colonize America. The charter also guaranteed that future kings and queens of England would have sovereign authority over all the citizens and colonized land in America stolen from the Indians. After America declared its independence from Great Britain, the Treaty of 1783 was signed. That treaty specifically identifies the King of England as the Prince of the United States and contradicts the belief that America won the War of Independence. Although King George III of England gave up most of his claims over his American colonies, he kept his right to continue receiving payment for his business venture of colonizing America. If America had really won the War of Independence, they would never have agreed to pay debts and reparations to the King of England. When Congress passed the 13th Amendment to the Constitution, the U.S. President was made subservient to the King of England. The 13th Amendment is called the Title of Nobility Amendment and forbids U.S. Presidents and their officials from using royal titles like King or Prince or Baron. For some mysterious reason, the 13th Amendment, which was ratified in 1810, no longer appears on current copies of the Constitution. America's blood-soaked war of independence against the British bankrupted America and turned its citizens into permanent debt slaves of the king.
the definitive Treaty of Peace 1783, in the name of the Most Holy and Undivided Trinity, it having pleased the Divine Providence to dispose the hearts of the Most Serene and Most Potent Prince George III, by the grace of God, King of Great Britain, France, and Ireland, Defender of the Faith, Duke of Brunswick and Lunebourg, Arch-Treasurer and Prince-Elector of the Holy Roman Empire, etc., and of the United States of America, to forget all past misunderstandings and differences that have unhappily interrupted the good correspondence and friendship which they mutually wish to restore, and to establish such a beneficial and satisfactory intercourse between the two countries upon the ground of reciprocal advantages and mutual convenience as may promote and secure to both perpetual peace and harmony, and having for this desirable end already laid the foundation of peace and reconciliation by the provisional article signed at Paris on 30th of November 1782, by the commissioners empowered on each part, which articles were agreed to be inserted in and constitute the treaty of peace proposed to be concluded between the Crown of Great Britain and the said United States, but which treaty was not to be concluded until terms of peace should be agreed upon between Great Britain and France, and His Britannic Majesty should be ready to conclude such treaty accordingly. And the treaty between Great Britain and France having since been concluded, His Britannic Majesty and the United States of America, in order to carry into full effect the provisional articles above mentioned, according to the tenor thereof, have constituted and appointed, that is to say His Britannic Majesty on his part, David Hartley, Esquire, Member of the Parliament of Great Britain, and the said United States on their part, John Adams, Esquire, Later Commissioner of the United States of America at the Court of Versailles, late Delegate in Congress from the State of Massachusetts, and Chief Justice of the said State, and Minister Plenipotentiary of the said United States to their High Mightnesses the States General of the United Netherlands, Benjamin Franklin, Esquire, Late Delegate in Congress from the State of Pennsylvania, President of the Convention of the said State, and Minister Plenipotentiary from the United States of America at the Court of Versailles, John J. Esquire, Late President of Congress and Chief Justice of the State of New York, and Minister Plenipotentiary from the said United States at the Court of Madrid, to be plenipotentiaries for the concluding and signing the present definitive treaty who after having reciprocally communicated their respective full powers have agreed upon and confirmed the following articles. Article 1. His Britannic Majesty acknowledges the said United States, Vice, New Hampshire, Massachusetts Bay, Rhode Island and Providence Plantations, Connecticut, New York, New Jersey, Pennsylvania, Maryland, Virginia, North Carolina, South Carolina and Georgia to be free sovereign and independent states, that he treats with them as such, and for himself, his heirs, and successors, relinquishes all claims to the government, propriety, and territorial rights of the same in every part thereof. Article 2. And that all disputes which might arise in future on the subject of the boundaries of the said United States may be prevented, it is hereby agreed and declared, that the following arms shall be their boundaries, vice from the northwest angle of Nova Scotia, vice. That angle which is formed by a line drawn due north from the source of Street, Croix River to the highlands, along the said highlands which divide those rivers that empty themselves into the river Street, Lawrence, from those which flow into the Atlantic Ocean, to the northwesternmost head of Connecticut River, 
thence down along the middle of that river to the 45th degree of north latitude, from thence by line due west on said latitude until it strikes the river Iroquois or Cataraqui, thence along the middle of said river into Lake Ontario, through the middle of said lake until it strikes the communication by water between that lake and Lake Erie, thence along the middle of said communication into Lake Erie, through the middle of said lake until it arrives at the water communication between that lake and Lake Huron, thence along the middle of said water communication into Lake Huron, thence through the middle of said lake to the water communication between that lake and Lake Superior, thence through Lake Superior northward of the Isles Royal and Filippo to the Long Lake, thence through the middle of said Long Lake and the water communication between it and the Lake of the Woods to the said Lake of the Woods, thence through the said lake to the most northwesternmost point thereof, and from thence on a due west course to the river Mississippi, thence by line to be drawn along the middle of the said river Mississippi until it shall intersect the northernmost part of the 31st degree of north latitude, south, by line to be drawn due east from the determination of the line last mentioned in the latitude of 31 degrees of the equator, to the middle of the river Apalachicola or Cotahouche, thence along the middle thereof to its junction with the Flint River, thence straight to the head of St. Mary's River, and thence down along the middle of St. Mary's River to the Atlantic Ocean, east, by a line to be drawn along the middle of the River St. Croix, from its mouth in the Bay of Fundy to its source, and from its source directly north to the aforesaid highlands, which divide the rivers that flow into the Atlantic Ocean from those which flow into the River St. Lawrence, comprehending all islands within 20 leagues of any part of the showers of the United States, and lying between lines to be drawn due east from the points where the aforesaid boundaries between Nova Scotia on the one part and East Florida on the other shall, respectively, touch the Bay of Fundy and the Atlantic Ocean, excepting such islands as now are or heretofore have been within the limits of the said province of Nova Scotia. Article 3. It is agreed that the people of the United States shall continue to enjoy unmolested the right to take such of every kind on the Grand Bank and on all the other banks of Newfoundland, also in the Gulf of St. Lawrence and at all other places in the sea, where the inhabitants of both countries used at any time heretofore to fish. And also that the inhabitants of the United States shall have liberty to take such of every kind on such part of the coast of Newfoundland as British fishermen shall use but not to dry or cure the same on that island and also on the coast, bays and creeks of all other of His Britannic Majesty's dominions in America, and that the American fishermen shall have liberty to dry and cure fish in any of the unsettled bays, harbors, and creeks of Nova Scotia, Magdalen Islands, and Labrador, so long as the same shall remain unsettled, but so soon as the same or either of them shall be settled, it shall not be lawful for the said fishermen to try or cure fish at such settlement without a previous agreement for that purpose with the inhabitants, proprietors, or possessors of the ground. Article 4. It is agreed that creditors on either side shall meet with no lawful impediment to the recovery of the full value in sterling money of all bona fide debts heretofore contracted. Article 5. It is agreed that Congress shall earnestly recommend it to the legislatures of the respective states to provide for the restitution of all estates, rights, and properties, which have been confiscated belonging to real British subjects, and also of the estates, rights, and properties of persons resident in districts in the possession on His Majesty's arms and who have not borne arms against the said United States. 
and that persons of any other decryption shall have free liberty to go to any part or parts of any of the thirteen United States, and therein to remain twelve months unmolested in their endeavors to obtain the restitution of such other estates, rights, and properties as may have been confiscated and that Congress shall also earnestly recommend to the several states a reconsideration and revision of all acts or laws regarding the premises, so as to render the said laws or acts perfectly consistent not only with justice and equity, but with that spirit of conciliation which on the return of the blessings of peace should universally prevail. And that Congress shall also earnestly recommend to the several states that the estates, rights, and properties of such last-mentioned persons shall be restored to them their funding to any persons who may be now in possession the bona fide price where only has been given, which such persons may have paid on purchasing any of the said lands, rights, or properties since the confiscation. And it is agreed that all persons who have any interest in confiscated lands, either by debt, marriage settlements, or otherwise, shall meet with no lawful impediment in the prosecution of their just rights. Article 6 that there shall be no future confiscations made nor any prosecutions commenced against any person or persons for, or by reason of, the part which he or they may have taken in the present war, and that no person shall on that account suffer any future loss or damage, either in his person, liberty, or property, and that those who may be in confinement on such charges at the time of the ratification of the treaty in America shall be immediately set at liberty, and the prosecutions so commenced be discontinued. Article 7. There shall be a firm and perpetual peace between this Britannic Majesty and the said states, and between the subjects of the one and the citizens of the other, wherefore all hostilities both by sea and land shall from henceforth cease. All prisoners on both sides shall be set at liberty, and his Britannic Majesty shall with all convenient speed, and without causing any destruction, or carrying away any Negroes or other property of the American inhabitants withdraw all his armies, garrisons, and fleets from the said United States, and from every post, place, and harbor within the same, leaving in all fortifications, the American artillery that may be therein, and shall also order and cause all archives, records, deeds, and papers belonging to any of the said states, or their citizens, which in the course of the war may have fallen into the hands of his officers to be forthwith restored and delivered to the proper states and persons to whom they belong. Article 8. The navigation of the river Mississippi, from its source to the ocean, shall forever remain free and open to the subjects of Great Britain and the citizens of the United States. Article 9. In case it should so happen that any place or territory belonging to Great Britain or to the United States should have been conquered by the arms of either from the other before the arrival of the said provisional articles in America, it is agreed that the same shall be restored without difficulty and without requiring any compensation. Yeah, I want to look at this just a little bit. Let's see. Article 9. In case it should so happen that in any place or territory belonging to Great Britain or the United States should have been conquered by the arms of either from the other before the arrival of the said provisional article of America, that agrees. Okay, all right. Uh, now look at this. 
in case, this is Article 9, in case it should so happen that any place or territory belonging to Great Britain or to the United States should have been conquered by arms. Did I not read this? Okay. Something that I thought I saw. The navigation of the River of Mississippi. This is Article 8. The navigation of the River of Mississippi from its source, that'd be the Great Lakes, to the ocean shall forever remain free and open to subjects of Great Britain and the citizens. the United States. What does that mean? Just a question. Seems to me like almost like it's saying in a way, either or, there are two groups of classes of people, subjects of Great Britain and the citizens of the United States, or they are the same and one and the same thing. Article 9. In case it should so happen that any place or territory belonging to Great Britain by the arms of either from the other before the arrival of the said provisional articles in America, it is agreed that the same shall be restored without difficulty and without requiring any compensation. Article 10. The solemn ratifications of the present treaty expedited in good and due form shall be exchanged between the contracting parties in the space of six months or sooner, if possible, to be computed from the day of the signatures of the present treaty. In witness whereof we the undersigned, their ministers plenipotentiary, have in their name and in virtue of our full powers, signed with our hands the present definitive treaty and caused the seals of our arms to be affixed thereto. Done at Paris, this third day of September in the year of our Lord, 1783. D. Hartley, seal. John Adams, seal. B. Franklin, seal. John J. seal. The Definitive Treaty of Peace 1783, in the name of the Most Holy and Undivided Trinity, it having pleased the Divine Providence to dispose the hearts of the Most Serene and Most Potent Prince George III, by the grace of God, King of Great Britain, France, and Ireland, Defender of the Faith, Duke of Brunswick and Lüneburg, Arch-Treasurer and Prince-Elector of the Holy Roman Empire, etc., and of the United States of America, to forgive. 1783, in the name of the Most Holy and Undivided Trinity, it having pleased the Divine Providence to dispose the hearts of the Most Serene and Most Potent Prince George III, by the grace of God, King of Great Britain, France, and Ireland, Defender of the Faith, Duke of Brunswick and Lüneburg, Arch-Treasurer and Prince-Elector of the Holy Roman Empire, and Ireland, Defender of the Faith, Duke of Brunswick and Lüneburg, Arch-Treasurer and Prince-Elector of the Holy Roman Empire, etc., and of the United States of America, Grace of God, King of Great Britain, France, and Ireland, Defender of the Faith, Duke of Brunswick and Lüneburg, Arch-Treasurer and Prince-Elector of the Holy Roman Empire, etc., and Grace of God, King of Great Britain, France, and Ireland, Defender of the Faith, Duke of Brunswick and Lüneburg, 
Arch-Treasurer and Prince-Elector of the Holy Roman Empire, etc., and of the United States of America, Selector of the Holy Roman Empire, etc., and of Duke of Brunswick and Lüneburg, Arch-Treasurer and Prince-Elector of the Holy Roman Empire, etc., and Duke of Brunswick and Lüneburg, Arch-Treasurer and Prince-Elector of the Holy Roman Empire, etc., Duke of Brunswick and Lüneburg, Arch-Treasurer and Prince-Elector of the Holy Roman Empire, etc., and of the United States of America, Duke of Brunswick and Lüneburg, Arch-Treasurer and Prince-Elector of the Holy Roman Empire, etc., and of the United States of America. Hi, my name is Alan Lamont. I'm doing an audio now on the Knights of Malta, and I'm really going to just give names here, you know. I'm going to go through a membership list and give you the details so you can look at that uh, list yourself. And the Knights of Malta really do govern the uh, world politics, they govern the United Nations. Many of the high-level uh, members of the Third Reich were actually uh, Knights of Malta. And I'm bringing this list out for people that, you know, say the Jews control the normal order and so on, or it's from the Bilderberg group and so on. So this is truth that you can research. This is uh, facts that you can't deny, you know. Uh, all the dictators that we see across the earth are Knights of Rome. The Vatican governs the politics of the world, and that includes all intelligence organizations through this uh, papal knighthood. Catholic papal knighthood called the Sovereign Military Order of Malta, or otherwise known as the Knights of Malta. And there's information that people need to research, really. And the Pope is the one that is uh, in control over this, but it also has a Grand Master. And the present Grand Master is Matthew Feston, and he is from uh, Northumbria, in uh, the north of Britain. And so, really, politics really is governed by this uh, knighthood. And their agenda really is to end the sovereignty of the United States and all nations, really, to bring a one world government and a new international economic order, or otherwise known as a one world economy. And they want to really disarm people, really, to take away the gun control. And here's the Knights of Malta. They are known as the militia of the Pope. And so, really, when someone becomes a Knight of Malta, they have to take an oath. And then that oath is uh, its an oath of absolute obedience to the Pope of Rome. That's what it is. And so I'm going to list some of these names. Uh, and these are the people who, you'll know their names, you know, the high-level uh, uh, people in the CFR, uh, the American politics and so on. You have uh, Brzezinski, he is the member of the Knights of Malta, he's a member of the Bilderberg Group, he's a member of the Council on Foreign Relations, uh, the Trilateral Commission. As I've said previously, this is really a round table group governed from uh, the British Empire, overseen by the Jesuit Order. Uh, also, you know, he came from uh, George, Jesuit Georgetown University. Uh, he's a Polish uh, Roman Catholic Socialist Communist. 
Uh, he's really controlled by the Jesuits. You have George Soroso. He is a member uh, of the Council on Foreign Relations and a member of the Carlyle Group. He's a multi-billionaire, major stockholder. And he was also trained at the London School of Economics for a season, which is also a Jesuit university. And he's a major stockholder in Halliburton, a Hungarian Jew. And, and you know, so a lot of people really are uh, looking to the, the Jewish Zionist movement and saying that the Jews really control the New World Order. They rule. Actually, you'll find out that all of these high-level Jews, the Warburgs, the Rockefellers, the Rothschilds, are all Knights of Malta. So it's very important to know who this knighthood is and who their members are, because world politics is governed by this papal knighthood. And also you have a, a, a group of Murdoch, he's a knight of Malta, he's also a knight of St. Gregory. Uh, you have Joseph R. Biden, the vice president of the United States currently. He's a papal knight of Rome, he's a knight of Malta, a Jesuit temple coadjutor which means he's working for the Jesuit order. Uh, and he oversees, you know, another Knight of Malta, President Barry Davis Obama, uh, who's a promoter of the Council of Foreign Relations and, uh, you know, his honorary degrees. This is uh, Joe Biden, you know, his honorary degrees uh, from Saint Ju the Jesuit St. Joseph's University of Philadelphia, PA. Uh, Barry Davis is really sitting president of the United States. He's nothing but a front, a figurehead. Uh, he's just a high-level mason, but he's subordinate to Rome. Uh, and America really is the, the Roman Empire, you know, the 14th Amendment American Roman Empire. And Obama is CFR-controlled, really. Uh, okay, so just moving to other names on this list. Now, this is a, you can find this list at www.biblebelievers.org. HTM, or you can go on my blog, and uh, the link is on the uh, YouTube channel page. It's for Vatican New World Order, and you go down the list on the right hand side, and you'll see Knights of Malta membership list uh, who really controls the New World Order. And there you'll find this list. But uh, just to give you more names, uh, you have uh, George W. Anderson, James Jesus Angleton, uh, Silvio Berlusconi. He's a you know. Italian uh, Prime Minister. You have the Grand Master, the previous one, uh, Prince Andrew Berti, you know, cousin of Queen Elizabeth II. You know, as the monarchy is also overseas as knighthood. Uh, former Prime Minister Tony Blair is a knight of Malta, as Michael Bloomberg, you know. Uh, even Charles Joseph Bonaparte, uh, Goren of the Nazi SS. Uh, that's the truth. I mean, really, Pat Buchanan. George H.W. Bush, Sr., George... W. Bush Jr., Jeb Bush, even though Jeb Bush is a Knight of Columbus, uh, fourth degree son knight, he's also uh, Knight of Malta. Prescott Bush Jr., uh, King John Carlos of Spain, is a very, very high level Knight of Rome, Governor of World Politics. President Bill Clinton is a Knight of Malta, uh, and most senators are, and most uh, members of Congress and the House of Representatives. You have Bill Donovan, who was the founder of the CIA, Alan Dules. Archbishop Edward Egan, uh, former of uh, New York, and uh, uh, G. Peter Grace. I mean, the list goes on and on. Heinrich Himmler, my God, you know, Heinrich Himmler was a Knight of Malta. That's the truth of it. Uh, von Papen. Now, these were high-level Nazis, you know, that worked with Adolf Hitler, really served the Jesuit order and the Black Pope during the time of uh, Nazi Germany. 
and really work at the control of the Third Reich for the Jesuit general. You also have Joseph Kennedy, Senator Ted Kennedy, Henry A. Kissinger, uh, you know, um, you know, not surprised that Kissinger, Kissinger is a knight of Malta. It's also a Council of Foreign Relations and Trilateral Commission member, and uh, this list goes on and on and on. Nelson Rockefeller, David Rockefeller, you have uh, all of them, really. Frank Sinatra, George Tennant, former uh, CIA director during the time of 9-11. Okay, I think it's time to end that list and just uh, bring a conclusion. The likes of Malta really govern the one world government. They govern the Council of Foreign Relations, they govern the Trilateral Commission, they govern the Bilderberg Group. The Bilderberg Group was uh, founded by St. Bernard of the Netherlands. Uh, sorry, Prince Bernard, St. Where did it get sent from? <laughs> Prince Bernard of the Netherlands and a very powerful uh, Knight of Malta. He was there at the first Bilderberg Conference and you don't really hear Alex Jones bring this out or many others that mention the Bilderberg Group. Uh, the Jews don't rule, okay? They don't control the New World Order. You will find through research that the Knights of Malta govern world politics and they oversee the political process across the earth. And there are multi-levels, you know, of knighthoods all across the earth and they govern uh, different uh, territories across the earth in this power structure and there's different power centers. You know, for instance, uh, the British Empire rules over... Uh, America through the Crown Corporation and so on. But all I want to bring out really is the Sovereign Military Order of Malta is a very powerful knighthood that governs world politics and world intelligence. In fact, you know, all intelligence across the earth, and that goes for British MI5, MI6, uh, you know, uh, CIA, Homeland Security, NSA, all, all of it really is governed by the Knights of Malta. And, you know, and that's the truth. When people reach the highest levels, of politics and intelligence and even in military the knight the knights of malta uh, because they are given that uh, position uh, by the vatican and you know for generations the knights of malta have governed uh, even russia i mean that's the truth you know they really govern russia and they govern israel and all nations across the earth but ultimately they are subordinate to the jesuit general and they also are servants of the British Empire. The British Empire is still an empire, and that's the truth of it, you know. So, you know, that's it. I just want to bring that information out. If, if you're really sincerely looking at the New World Order, trying to understand who the powers are, because you will admit to yourself that if you go on Alex Jones show or uh, Taxi Mars or all of these men, now they blame Jews or they call them globalist elites or, uh, you know, it's all unknown powers. It's, it's powers that you will never know, and, you know, people just, you know, bring out a general accusation like they're, they're Zionists or they're Jews or the point to the Bilderberg group or the point to the Masons. You know, they don't actually expose really who controls. And actually all words lead to Rome. But it's very, very easy to expose this structure. All you have to do is do two things. Very, very easily done. Easily done. I mean, I've done a video not long ago, uh, a few days ago actually. I think it was a week ago on uh, the French president, Hollande. And I didn't know he was a Jesuit. But I know the Jesuits rule. Uh... You know, every president is a Jesuit trained. For instance, Bill Clinton went to Jesuit Georgetown University. He was a Jesuit alumni. So I thought, right, I'll go on to Google, type in this man's name, you know, uh, Francis Hollande, uh, Jesuit alumni. That's all I typed in, and it came up with the university, HAC. It was a Jesuit university, and his honorary degree he had as a Jesuit. And they were not just talking about a Jesuit university. We're talking about a man who has been literally trained for decades by the Jesuit order. 
And when you're an alumni Jesuit, a high-level one, that means that you're positioned in that elite circle in politics. Uh, AHAC, really in France, it really does, does train the elite politics that govern France, uh, politicians, and that's the truth. So, you know, you, you can very easily find out, you know, who controls the new world order. All you have to do is look at the Vatican Knights, and you will find out that all of our politicians and all of our uh, world leaders are all Knights of Malta, or they are all alumni Jesuit trained. That's the structure, folks. That's it. It's that simple. Okay, uh, thanks for listening. And uh, go on my blog. You see, I'm not doing this, you know, to get views or anything. It's to give people information. All the information's there, so people can get that information and do their own research. And it's the real truth on the New World Order. Okay, it's not just information. It's not theory. It's facts. It's the truth. It's the truth. Uh, so the nice of Malta. You know, uh, govern world politics. Okay, thanks for listening. My name is Alan Lamont, and all words lead to Rome, the mother of Harlem. No, the, the enemy is the Jesuit papacy. It is the monster that afflicts us in everything. As Chinequi said, Rome is constantly in conspiracy against the rights of man around the world. And I will be reading to you his 50 years in the Church of Rome. So that you guys busy working all day, you can listen to the book. And that's another design of the Jesuits, to keep us so busy we don't have the time to, to think for ourselves for 15 seconds a day. Well, I want to help you with that. In my new nation, we're going to have honest money. That's right. We're not going to have any of the Pope's indulgences. You know what the Pope's indulgences are? Federal Reserve notes. Worthless fiat money. Notes of debt. That just discharge debt, kind of like the game of musical chairs. I got the debt, but as soon as I, I get up, somebody takes my chair. It's a Ponzi scheme. We have evil money. It is evil. And every preacher in this country should be preaching against evil paper money that cannot be exchanged, that cannot be redeemed for specie, for gold coins and for silver coins. Because you see, we niggas, we ain't allowed to have any gold and silver coins. Oh no, that means you're a free man, a freeman, and we can't tolerate any freeman in North America. They gotta be slaves, handling around monopoly money. The we big men at the banks, we white power structure working for the Pope, we will tell our slaves how much that money is worth. We're going we're gonna to pit it against the gold and silver market every day so we can steal from them every day. Yeah, that's what we want to do. It's just that bad. So if there's going to be a great a revival, the revival has to start, first of all, in the pulpits. For which reason I seek to to inform these preachers of their obligation. I'm adjusting my headphones here to make sure they don't creak anymore. Tell these preachers of their obligation to get involved in civil affairs. Oliver Cromwell, the greatest man, the greatest man of the last 500 years, I'm convinced. He said every Christian man is a public man. You got that, you Mennonites? Every Christian man ought to be involved in government somehow, some way. 
Because if you don't, you leave the vacuum open to the papacy and their agents to take over the government. And that's why you have these agents of Rome, most of them Catholics, in the government managing everything. Don't you think for one second, Barry Davis Obama, that's his real name, Barry Davis. He was named Barry, and his real father was a black communist named Frank Marshall Davis. have it on my website, and then there's been a recent video released. Uh, sent to me by my friend, by my black friend, Omar, out of Delaware. And the name of that video is Dreams from My Real Father. And it completely proves that Frank Marshall Davis was Barry's daddy. A communist. And his master is a white man who's a Roman Catholic, Joe Biden. The vice president is always the president. The vice president under George Bush, why, who was that? The wicked and evil, rapacious Dick Cheney. He was the real president, not George W. Bush, that imbecile. Who's the real president under Ronald Reagan? Who was his real president? George Herbert Walker Bush, he was the real president. And the Secretary of State, not of Malta, Alexander Haig, whose brother, Frank Haig, is a Jesuit who teaches what physics at the Jesuit University in Baltimore. The vice president's always the president. So it is today. That's why good old Joe is at the right hand of Barry every time Barry signs an act in the law. And Joe's saying, that's good nigga. That's good nigga now. Go ahead. Just sign it for Sign it for us and the Jesuits at Georgetown and the Pope and continue to drive this nation to desperation, to poverty. Just go ahead, Barry. And you know what? We white men can blame all the blacks for what you do. Try it. We're going to blame all the blacks for it so that we can ultimately have a race war and then a right-wing white fascist military dictatorship. And, and Barry Davis Obama is facilitating white fascism. That's why he's the greatest enemy to you black people on the face in this country. He's not your friend. The black man that's your friend will advocate racial separation of the nationhood to get away from these white people and have your own nation so you can govern yourselves according to this book, the AB 1611 King James Bible, and seek God's blessing and intervention to help you. And any black man that's not doing that is just a servant of the devil. And while we're on the topic of black men, I want to point out to you that every design, every attempt for a back-to-Africa movement by black, is, by black men has been thwarted and crushed by the Jesuit order. That's what Lincoln wanted to do. He wanted to send the blacks back to Africa. And most of them wanted to go. That's why in, during the days of President James Monroe, we white Protestant men founded a place, bought it from the tribal chiefs in Africa called Liberia. We bought it for the blacks here in America. And then Thomas Buchanan, who was a relation, I believe the brother of President James Buchanan, he was the first governor there in Liberia. He dies of the African fever, trying to help black people of this country get back to Africa, just try to make amends for the wicked and sinful African slave trade. That, according to Blake, W.O. Blake in his great work, um, The History of Slavery and the Slave Trade, says that 30 million of them were brought into, into the Western Hemisphere. 
and one-third of them were sent to the bottom of the ocean. Well, black men have been taught to hate the white man. Why do you think this government has given you welfare for the last 60, 70 years, since what, 1930s, 1940s? So that they would encourage you to copulate, to create all these bastard, illegitimate children that have no fathers, for which reason the prisons are full of them because daddy wasn't home to whip their butts when they were disobedient, as white fathers generally used to do. My dad did to me. So that there would be huge black populations in all the major cities easily incited to hate and kill Whitey. Isn't that the purpose for the nation of Islam now? Now come on! Isn't that the purpose for the new Black Panthers? Now come on! To incite race hatred against all white men in general, not distinguishing between the white Roman Catholics who generally hate all blacks and the white Protestants and Baptists who've taught the blacks the Bible, who went into their ghettos to bring their, their slums, to bring their children to white churches, to teach them the gospel. We're not the same. All white men are not the same. So that they then could incite the blacks in the major cities, first of all, the miscegenation. Got to have a white woman. Got to get my wood wet. Got to have a white woman. And then after that, because the judgment of God on the situation is race war. That's how it always happens. So that then the Jesuits would incite their race war. Black on white race war to begin with in the major cities. After the Jesuits do their best to disarm every white man and take their guns away, like like uh, Blackwater did to the white men down there in New Orleans after Katrina, mm-hmm. Blackwater just being an arm of the CIA, run by that Matt of Malta Roman Catholic Arab prince, and Joseph Smith, who is another Matt of Malta, who is his right-hand man, the Knights run Blackwater, Xee. They're the Crusaders, and they're going to be used against us with the Department of Homeland Security, founded by a Jesuit member of the Jesuit Volunteer Corps, John C. Gannon, who was in the CIA for 23 years. Why don't you tell us that, Michael Savage? Huh? How about you, Alex Jones? Why don't you go there? Because you're busy working for the Pope, but we can't go there, can we? So after they incite the race war, Millions of people are going to die in the major cities. And they'll open the camps. And that's what was exposed in the Iran-Contra hearings when they were questioning that traitor, Oliver North, when that particular congressman from Texas put the question to him. I've seen in the paper that there are concentration camps, and immediately North turned to his lawyer, and then that traitor of a Hawaiian senator... Stop the questioning. Daniel Inyoki, I believe his name was. He stopped the questioning, this line of questioning. We can have a private session. Hey, I don't want any private sessions. A republic has no private sessions. What's discussed is open before the populace because, sirs, you're supposed to be our servants, not our masters. We're not children and infants. We're adult men. White men. So they stopped the questioning. And it was during those Iran-Contra hearings 
that it was disclosed at the camp that they're going to incarcerate. And this is back in the 80s. They're going to incarcerate 21 million Negro, that's the term they used, Negro Americans. How come Jesse Jackson didn't tell you this, black man? How come Al Sharpton didn't tell you this, black man? How come Louis Farrakhan didn't tell you that? The, one of the killers, one of the co-conspirators in the murder of Malcolm X, which is the only black leader of the 60s I have any respect for. I speak about him on several pages in my book, Vatican Assassins. No, because there's nobody speaking for you black men. Which one of your black leaders are talking about the alien Roman Catholic Mexican invasion with these millions, what, 40 million Mexicans now and other Hispanics from South America are illegally in this country working, prospering, and putting the black man out of a job. How many of you black leaders have went to the went to the defense of your black people in this? Zero. I don't even know if Pastor Manning has said anything about this. And I kind of like him, even though I think he's also an, an agitator. He's agitating white men. That's what he's doing. He's agitating white men into right-wing fascism. Pastor Manning, I like some of the things he says, but he'll never tell you that the CFR is running things. He doesn't deal with the Council on Foreign Relations. And he'll never deal with the papacy. It's all about that long-legged, Mac Daddy, uh, uh, Barack Hussein Obama. But he'll never tell you that Barack Hussein Obama, really Barry Davis, was trained by Jesuit Greg Galuzzo of the, of the Gamaliel Foundation in Chicago that was intimately involved with uh, ACORN, that hatefully racist anti-white organization. So I will be teaching you about that, too. I'll be teaching you black men about the, your, the betrayal of your race to, by your leaders in this country because there's boule society. There's the black skull and bones just busy serving the Pope of Rome and selling you out. And Martin Lucifer King was a member of the boule society. And he didn't get one whit about the benefit of you black men and you black women ever, ever coming up out of slavery and having your own nation where you're going to be self-sufficient he never cared for you about that. He wants you utterly dependent on the federal government. Because without the federal government and not a multi-Henry Luce, there is no there is no civil rights movement. If the civil rights movement was about racial separation in the nation, the Jesuits would have crushed that. Jesuit John Lafarge being the father of the black civil rights movement in the 1930s. Which reminds me, I will have my... Dear black lady friend, sister in the Lord, Aaron Fraser on the broadcast from time to time. She'll be teaching you about the wickedness of Martin King, Michael King, that was his real name, and his audience with the Pope, with Ralph Abernathy. Listen, anybody that has an audience with the Pope is serving the devil. Hi there, my name is Alan Lamont. This is for people in the United States. I'm going to bring a message for you about Washington, D.C. Now, the creation of the United States 
we know that many of the Protestants came to America, but we also know that Christopher Columbus dedicated America to Rome, and Washington, D.C. was really dedicated by Rome. And you can look at many of the symbols today, of course. You can look at the Capitoline Hill, which is really the Temple of Jupiter. You see also the seal of the United States of America, which has the hexagram, of course, on it, which is uh, the symbol of Saturn, Saturnalia, the Feast of Saturnalia. These are not Masonic symbols. These are actually symbols of the Roman Empire. We have the all-seeing eye, of course, of Horus. So this is a Babylonian uh, foundation, okay? It was Rome that created the foundation of the American government. And of course, people talk about George Washington and his Masonic connection, but actually, really, really, uh, Washington was ruled over by Jesuit Georgetown University from its very creation, okay? I'm talking about the creation of the Confederacy and, you know, the United States of America, okay? And the signing of the Constitution and the Bill of Rights and the liberties of the people of the United States. It was the Jesuits of Rome that wanted the Constitution. I'll explain that. Now, of course, it looks like it's a Protestant government. I understand that. But really, the Jesuits of Rome wanted the Constitution because it ended persecution against their order. We must remember that the Jesuits were suppressed in 1773 by Pope Clement. Of course, he was poisoned because of that persecution and suppression. And in 1776, the Jesuits of Rome created the Illuminati through Adam Weishaupt, and they infiltrated, uh, you know, the governments of Europe, of course, through the cover of Freemasonry. But America is really what I want to talk about. Now, if you look at the Capitoline Hill, it's a temple to Jupiter, and of course you see the phallic obelisk of Nimrod directly in front of the dome, and you go to St. Peter's and you see exactly the same symbols. You see the dome of St. Peter's being the womb of Isis or Samaramis, bringing forth the seed Horus through, once again, the phallic Egyptian obelisk, of course. And you see the sun wheel exactly there, you know. And actually, Washington, D.C., you know, it's not the owl. People talk about this architecture of the owl around the White House, the owl of Molech. Well, actually, if you look at it, really, you see the symbol of the eagle, the double-headed eagle, that is, of the Holy Roman Empire. America has always been ruled by the Jesuits of Rome. I'm going to bring a quotation here. It's from Charles Chinnicky's book called 50 Years in the Church of Rome. Very, very revealing quote. I feel more and more every day, stated the president. This is Abraham Lincoln. This is Charles Chinnicky bringing a quotation from United States President Abraham Lincoln. Quote, I feel more and more every day that it is not against the Americans of the South alone I am fighting. It is more against the Pope of Rome, his Jesuits, and their slaves. Very few Southern leaders are not under the influence of the Jesuits through their wives, family relations, and their friends. Several members of the family of Jeff Davis belong to the Church of Rome. Even the Protestant ministers are under the influence of the Jesuits without suspecting it. To keep their power in the north, as she does in the south, Rome is doing here what she has done in Mexico. 
and in all South American republics, she is paralyzing by civil war the arms of the soldiers of liberty. She divides our nation in order to weaken, subdue, and rule it. Neither Jeff Davis nor any one of the Confederacy would have dared to attack the North had they not relied on the promises of the Jesuits that under the mask of democracy, the money and the arms of the Roman Catholics, even the arms of France, were at their disposal if they would attack us. I pity the priests and bishops and monks of Rome in the United States when the people realize that they are in great part responsible for the tears and the bloodshed in this war. I conceal what I know, for if the people knew the whole truth, this war would turn into a religious war and at once take a tenfold more savage and bloody character. Abraham Lincoln knew the truth. He knew the truth, and for that, of course, he was assassinated because he defied Rome. And it is the Jesuits that have continually controlled the American governments of Washington through Jesuit Georgetown University. And do talk a lot about Georgetown because it is extremely necessary to expose the fact that this geopolitical university today is the university that really does control the FBI, the CIA, NSA, Homeland Security, and more importantly, the United States government. Of course, they rule that through their front organization called the Council on Foreign Relations, but it was John Carroll, the first bishop of the United States, that laid the foundation of this structure, and he controlled Washington, of course, you know, and... Uh, this is the real history of the United States of America. The Jesuits wanted the Constitution because it ended persecution against them. Obviously, in Europe, they were expelled from over 80 nations, so this was the agenda of Rome, and that's why they had to assassinate Lincoln, is because he was defying the agenda of the Society of Jesus. And there's a lot of great books that uh, explain this conspiracy, but all you have to do also is go to the uh, Washington Capitol and you will see Washington there in the dome. But you see all of the gods of Rome, of Jupiter and Saturn and Liberty and all of these gods, you know. And you also see within the architecture and those symbols that really it is the United States that is to be the sword of the Catholic Church. They are to be the military right arm of the papacy, the black papacy. Of course, a lot of people, all they hear is masonry, you know. They look at all of these symbols and see Masonic revelations, when in fact, it's nothing more than the Holy Roman Empire, okay? And it's really the Archbishop of New York today that controls Obama, and he controls uh, Romney, he controls Joe Biden, all of the candidates, even before that, you know, you had... Uh, George Bush, Al Gore, you know, all of these uh, candidates, they're all trained by the Jesuits of Rome, all of them. So no one becomes president unless they are controlled by Jesuit Georgetown University. And just bringing a very direct message, I've covered a lot of this material before, but as I've said, this message is for people in the United States of America. And of course, you have Vatican knighthoods that rule over 
the political process, of course, like the Knights of Malta, who are the Vatican uh, Sovereign Military Order of Malta, Knights Hospital of Terror St. John, they also have the Knights of Columbus, they rule over the Congress, governors, the police force, uh, the whole you know legal system in America. You have opiate deal. They also control you know politics. Uh, so this is the real power in the United States of America. And just to make it really clear again, if you're an American, I want you to understand that uh, this whole thing with 9/11, you know, this whole CIA operation against the Twin Towers, uh, eventually. I know this might be difficult to understand, but eventually they want it to be exposed, you know, for people to rise up against the government. And you don't get accurate information on the Internet regarding the real power in America. Uh, people like Alex Jones expose a lot of truth. I'll just just say that, you know. But he is, in fact, an agent of Rome. He never explains. Eric John Phelps, 24-7 World Radio, my program, Biblical Truth and History and Prophecy. We'll be back. You're listening to 24-7 World Radio. Broadcast will have several purposes, and the purpose is, of course, to first preach the true gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, and to secondly expose the power of the Jesuit order, which is making mincemeat of this country. And so, before the Lord, it is my desire this moment to launch a full-scale exposing an infowar attack, actually Alex Jones has it right with that particular phrase, against the great secret society, as exposed in that tremendous book written in England entitled A Glimpse of the Great Secret Society, uh, 
And that secret society is the Society of Jesus that is now in the full-blown process of attempting to finally destroy what was once historic white Anglo-Saxon Protestant Western civilization and to return the world to the Pope's dark ages when there was no Reformation, when there was no Western civilization, when there was no middle class, when there was no freedom of speech, when there was no private wealth, when the priests and the nobles ran everything and the people were dirt and scum to be fleeced and eaten at the will of the papacy and its white power structure, the nobles of Europe. So this is going to be the major thrust of this broadcast. And there is nobody else doing it, to my knowledge, to this extent, for the purpose of exposing the Jesuits and their design here. Now remember that the Jesuit order, its heart and base of operations, speaking secularly outside of Rome, outside of their headquarters in Borgo Santo Spirito, number five there, outside of Vatican walls, their temporal headquarters is America. The Jesuits rule the world through their control of Washington and New York City, and indeed also London, but primarily through Washington and New York City because this is the empire that they created as of March 9th, 1933, with their most loyal, apostate, Protestant, Episcopalian, Freemason, the damnable Franklin Julius Caesar Roosevelt with his proclamation 2040. He put the, he instituted a, this was a, the real coup d'etat. And in this coup d'etat, he instituted a military government, an emergency war powers government, which according to a specific document that I have from the U.S. Senate that this country, as of 1973, when this document was issued, the congressional record, they said that this country had been under uh, emergency powers for 40 years. So the Jesuits, in running their emergency war powers government out of Washington, through Georgetown University, and hence running their emergency war powers government on every state level, here in Harrisburg, California, Sacramento, Every state capital is in the hands of the Jesuit order, and every state government is an emergency powers state government subordinate to the emergency powers national government in Washington. And if you don't believe me, just go to any courtroom in your state, and you take a look at the flag that they're flying. And the flags that they fly is the U.S. flag, the Title IV flag trimmed with gold fringe, and then they flag their, flag their state flag trimmed in gold fringe. Gold fringe is the flag of the chief executive. Gold fringe is the flag of the commander-in-chief. It's an executive flag. So what we have is these courts now, even though they are constitutional courts that have sprung from the written constitution of the or Article Three, say, of the U.S. Constitution and the state constitutions, they are in substance martial proceedings on behalf of the chief executive. And this would not be possible had you not been given a bastardized, hybridized citizenship called U.S. citizenship, which is 
was your 14th Amendment private U.S. citizenship altered the contract with the filing of a birth certificate in a public office in your state, making you property of a artificial person, of an artificial person, as well as then being a, a hybrid welded to this artificial person as surety for it. You're not an accommodating party. You're surety for it. You're linked to it. And this is the bastard hybrid status that they put upon us that enables the bastard hybrid de facto military government and courts to proceed against you in every civil and criminal proceeding. Why? Because we're under emergency war powers. So I intend to fully expose this emergency war powers government run by the Vatican. Because you see, this is how they're going to impose temporal power of the Pope here. The courts are already set up. They're already in place. All that needs to happen is a concordat, a treaty between the president, the commander-in-chief, which is what he really is, and the Pope of Rome through his papal nuncio in Washington, which is his ambassador to the United States. Once that happens, you now will have a unity between the Vatican and the U.S. that will impose canon law here, Exactly as was done in Hitler's Germany when he had a concordat with the Pope, signed by Franz von Papen, who was an item Malta, Hitler's vice chancellor, and 1933. And that concordat, by the way, is still in effect for all you Germans. Remember, the Jesuits hate you Germans. They can't stand you because you brought the Reformation to the world. Especially they hate East Germany. That's why they put it under communism for 45 years and beat those Lutheran Protestants into the dust. So they want to end white Protestant and Baptist Western civilization by any means necessary. And it appears to me that we are now in the final death throes, the final design of the Jesuit order to bring this to pass. And so this will be one of the major purposes for this broadcast, to have you instructed in these matters, to teach you from the books that I know, to get the, the uh, evidence from individuals who fully are fully aware of this, so that you'll be fully uh, informed as to what's happening and will not be deceived either by the Pope's general media, controlled by the Council on Foreign Relations, controlled by uh, various other secret societies. Of course, high, high level Scottish Rite Freemasonry is one of them. The Knights of Columbus are another. The Knights of Malta are another. The Knights of the Equestrian Order are another. I mean, it's through these papal knighthoods and Masonic secret societies that the Jesuits fully control and thereby fully control this for Holy Roman, which I call for Holy Roman, 14th Amendment, corporate fascist, socialist, communist, anti-white, pro-black American empire. So we want to be understanding with that matter. Now the purpose of this broadcast is I wish to teach you. I disagree with Eric Phelps, not pro-black. He has some good things. You can get past his bigotry and his white supremacist thing. He has some really good things to say, unfortunately. He's one of the few people saying it, therefore I'm playing it. But let's face it, they're not for the blacks. If that were the case, they would have given decent schooling, job opportunities, real job opportunities. They wouldn't have shipped all the jobs overseas. They wouldn't be imprisoning millions of these men. 
they wouldn't be sending the crack and the drugs in their neighborhood and encouraging gang warfare and violence. Encouraging ignorance. Stupidity. Taking their God away from them. Come on, Eric. We have to live in 2015. The answer is is not blacks on one side, whites on the other. It's time that we actually do unite as far as this nonsense about somehow there's some kind of recompense for blacks and whites being married. Well, I like to see that. You know, where in the Bible does it say that's judgment? It's insane. I know, I still play them, and it will be a short while more. Because he is saying some truths. But I'm telling you right now, this whole thing about the black and white thing, this is what destroys his credibility. This is who he really is. I don't believe he's a Christian. I think he's a good researcher, and I believe that he's dece- he is deceiving us when it comes to the state of Israel and this whole black and white separation. no. The real issue is they have separated us from the truth of God, the Word of God. And let's be honest about it. African Americans in this country, blacks, Negroes, whatever you want to call them, you know, I can serve fellow human beings, fellow creatures of God. You know, we're humans, you know. The only thing that's different, I believe, at the end of the day, is between our ears. And they have been robbed. Even worse than the average white man in this country. Really upsets me when I keep hearing him say that. But unfortunately, he does have some good things to share. And so we're going to listen to this. Because it is an issue. In the end of the day, this divisive issue between white and black, scripted straight out of the Roman Empire, straight out of the servants, the British Empire, straight out of the, you know, uh, coming even from uh, the court Jews that belonged to the papist, the papal empire, the system, and a whole bunch of ignorant. Protestants, and everyone else. You know what? We don't live in a world where it works anymore. Can't go back in time. Can't. Let's be honest. Our Savior wasn't white, and he probably wasn't black. He was probably something in between. Maybe more blacker than white. I don't know. Who cares? Maybe he looked something completely different than we'll ever imagine. You know, we're not supposed to have engraven images. We're not supposed to be fantasizing what our Savior looks like. This whole idea of white supremacy, black supremacy is incredibly stupid. And by the way, most of us are ingrained in that hatred towards each other and you socially you see it happening and you have to be honest you're taught that somebody convinced you that the difference between black and white this that and the other 
and you know, it's a threat. Threat to your your manhood, isn't it? Because deep down inside, you didn't get the woman you wanted, whether you're white or black, right? That's a real issue. It's not because you really care about that black. That you need to focus on blaming somebody for the fact that you didn't get what you wanted. Maybe it's because of your own sinful ways. Maybe God didn't bless you with that. Anyways, it is true that they're fomenting a racist war, and we might as well hear from the white supremacists. I wouldn't mind even hearing from a black like that. There's a couple of folks that might put on. A Manning, maybe. Maybe not a Manning. He's not really a proper one. But Louis Farrakhan or something like that. Because that is what they're doing. And whether, you know, I, I almost... I feel like Eric Feltz probably knows what he's doing, and he's probably, I really think he's just racist. I, you know, a lot of people say he's a disinformation agent or he's controlled by the papacy. I don't think so. I, and the more and more I listen to him, the information that he has is really not that difficult to find, reading textbooks and other books. He just had a big enough mouth and presence to be noticed and where another one else was talking about it. And the truth of the matter is, he is a racist. Any race rationalizes through the Bible. Sounds very familiar, doesn't it? It seems like history. And, uh, you know, if you're on his side, fine, that's great. Hopefully we can't. And if you're not, fine. I hope you don't misunderstand that I, uh, I'm not on his side. I know the past couple of weeks I've been bringing up Mayor Phelps and some, you know, like Hellstorm and all that, because you know what? That's a reality. You need to know about what others think. You need to be honest about it. We need to be uh, intelligent about it. We need to hear the other voices. And, um, yeah, you know, if I could find... I, I actually text because uh, it Gregory guy um, to come on, but he, uh, I emailed him, but he never responded. Of course, he never responded. We have nobody, so a lot of these guys won't come on a show like mine because they don't feel like they get anything to gain from it, personal gain, because it's all about them. But, anyways, there's plenty of black racists out there too that I would love to interact with. See, there's the point of things. Not to support them, but it comes to some better understanding how people think. I experienced my racism from Native Americans and other whites and uh, blacks. <laughs> yeah, well, because I'm behind 57, and I quite don't. I don't quite look white, and I don't quite look like anybody else. So I've been told that numerous times. So, anyways. The fact of the matter is, stupid. Stupid. So please look past his stupidity and his white prejudice. Please look past his ignorance. Here he is exposing the Jesuits and then 
can't accept the fact that they're the ones who created dispensation of futurism. Still have something to say. And uh, we'll probably listen to this and take a couple more, may have more of his ranting. And maybe we won't. Yeah, we ain't sure. Yeah, we should. We should. We should be honest about the fact. I mean, part of the reason why I'm sharing Eric Phelps is twofold. One is to expose who he is. And the other part is to expose what he's saying. And I guess another part is to expose the Jesuits, because what he's saying is the truth about the Jesuits. It's hard to stomach for many because of his white racist tendencies. But that's the way, that's his problem. We have to make it our problem. That's his fault. That's his character flaws. Yeah, still sinner. He might be a smart sinner, and he might be a smart racist, but he's still a sinner, and he's not one that we should idolize. So I don't want you to get the mistake that I'm idolizing Nazis, white supremacy. But you know what? Hey, let's be honest. It's been the history of our world. They've used that rationalization in the Roman Empire as a way to enslave, to divide, to separate. Even himself, he's, you know, maturing separation. You know, I really believe it's the difference between us is what's between our ears. Opportunities, the people that have raised us, the people we interact with. You take people out of a cruddy environment and put them in a more uplifting, intellectually stimulating environment, they change. Many of us, like myself, have to isolate ourselves from just about everybody to get to this point. Not because we want to, but because there's a bunch of idiots all over the place, whether white, black, yellow, brown, male, female. That doesn't mean I'm better than anybody else. I just got tired of being one of them. That's all. (laughs) And I still am. Still learning. So anyways, I wanted to once to bring this up because sometimes Eric just goes on these white, supremacist, black nonsense and uplifting the blacks when it's the most absurd thing to say. You know, if you're going to uplift blacks, what you, you give them property, you give them real jobs and opportunities, you give real training, you give them real education, you give them something beyond PBS and public school and all that. You know what I mean? You teach them the real truth. Or closer to it, at least. There's no privilege. Did you get it? It's not about weight. You know, there is race. It's an issue. But that race is something of the white ruling elite part of the Roman Empire, these black, you know, the uh, Roman nobilities, the black nobilities from Rome and Europe and in this country with their better educations. But you know what? The fact of the matter 90% of us are in the same boat, whether we just want to admit it or not. 
And you know what? We'll never unite. We'll never beat this. We won't. Because from a very early age, they divide us. Whether Eric Phelps is consciousness or not, he's contributing to that division. We're in a time when actually we need to actually unite. Not white against black. Black against white. We need to unite because we have all have a common enemy. That's why I'm interested. It's, this is the Eric Phelps right now so that you may know who the, our common enemy is. Even Eric Phelps is not our common enemy. He's actually part of us. He's just one of... He's just deceived. You know, some people, their problem is women. Other people, it's homosexuality. Apparently, Eric Phelps' problem is racism. He likes to be a racist, and he has anger issues. And so, let's accept that. We don't have to, you know... When I mean accept that, we don't have to accept his racism in the sense that we just have to tolerate it all the time, but we've accepted that's who Eric Phelps is. And if you want to learn more about the Jesuits, the power structure, what's happened in this country, we're going to have to listen to a babbling racist talk about it once in a while. I'm sorry. It won't be for very long. Um, this is something that's been bothering me for quite a bit. But, you know, the more I listen to him, the more I realize how absolutely twisted Eric's thinking is when it comes to race. But maybe it needs to be shared. Maybe we, we need to not run away from Eric Phelps, Eric John Phelps, the racist, so that we can hear the truth, what's going on. And maybe if we find a, a, a black racist, somebody who's very strong and anti-white, like Gregory, yeah, Mr. Gregory, he's got a, a lot of good things to say. I mean, he doesn't connect Rome. He doesn't connect the Roman Empire. He seems to be missing the big picture. But he has a lot of good insights about what's going on. And as far as the government goes, what's going on with uh, the black community? What's going on with uh, even stupid whitey? So <laughs> it's the way it is. Hiding in our shell is not going to help anything. So, anyways, let's look back to listen to Mr. White Supremacist Eric John Phelps. It's so disappointing. But you know what? We do need to hear contemporary voices today. What's going on in America and Europe? There's so few of them now. We're almost dependent at this point to listen to a guy like him. How dreadful. Anyways. <laughs> about the international intelligence community. You must realize that all the intelligence agencies work together. And they have worked together uh, since no later than 1933, when the Jesuits brought FDR, Julius Caesar FDR to power in America, that dictator, when they brought Hitler to power in 1933, when they brought Stalin to power in 1922, when they brought Benito Mussolini to power in 1922, when they brought Winston Churchill to power as he was first head of the Admiralty and then ultimately becomes Prime Minister in the late 30s after Neville Chamberlain 
is deliberately said to deceive the British people into thinking there will be peace for our time. Um, so, uh, Francisco Franco, uh, the the the, uh, the dictator of Spain that conducted a three-year civil war in Spain that killed about two million Spaniards that had which government had kicked out the Jesuits. And so Franco was raised by the Pope, Generalissimo Franco was raised by the Pope to wage war on Spain and pretend and prepared to kill as many Spaniards as necessary to restore the Pope's temporal power. So Franco and Hitler and Stalin and Churchill and FDR and Hirohito of Japan, all of them will be working together in what I call in my book the Second Thirty Years' War or I should say the second act of the Second Thirty Years' War. The Second Thirty Years' War began in 1914, late 1914. It ends in April of 1945. That's the Second Thirty Years' War, and after that Second Thirty Years' War, there is no Protestantism left in Germany. It's finished. It's done. They bombed the Church of Our Lady, the Luther there. Uh, they, they decimated the Lutheran Protestants by any means necessary, using both the communists and the fascists. And that's another point I wish to make, is that communism and fascism works together. Communism and fascism works together. They are extremes, but the maxim of extremes meets always is true. And in this case, communism and fascism is no exception. That's why we find... 33rd degree Freemason Henry Ford financing Hitler, but he also is going to open up his Ford plant to the Bolsheviks and to Joseph Stalin in the 1920s, and he's ultimately going to send some 300 Americans over to Russia to work in the Gorky factory for the building of cars and automobiles, that he'll betray all of them. And only one of them will ever escape back to tell the story, and that's a Jew named Victor Herman who wrote the book Coming Out of the Ice and the other book titled The Gray People, which if you have a weak stomach, The Gray People is not a book for you to read because it tells of all the horrible bestiality and rape that went on in the gulag camps for those poor Russian women imposed by the Jesuits and their KGB and certain Jews working for the Jesuits and the KGB. Because remember, there's always a Jewish element that's working for the papacy, and that's another point. The, Jew, there are the high-level Jews involved in this are all papal court Jews. Henry Kissinger is a papal court Jew. Bernard Shalom Bernanke is a papal court Jew. Um... All of you, and they go, the list goes on and on and on. You, if you could just get the copy of the annual report of the CFRs, hundreds of Jews in there. They're all busy working for the CFR, which is controlled by the Archbishop of New York City. That's why the Council on Foreign Relations was established in New York City in 1921 in the first place. It was the American branch of the Royal Institute for International Affairs out of London that had been established in 1919 after World War I. So we need to have an understanding of the Pope's international intelligence community. And I will be reading from some of the classic works, and in particular, Fletcher Prouty's 
the secret team. Knowing that it is really nothing more than the revival and the perfection of the Pope's holy office of the Inquisition, which at its peak, at its epic power, spread from Europe to North Africa, to the Far East, to India, to Macau, all carried out by the nations, the empires that he was in control of, specifically the Portuguese Empire and the Spanish Empire. And then later on, when the Jesuits got control of the British Empire, they would then implement their intelligence community through the British Empire, and that British Empire would uh, wage war against this white Anglo-Saxon Protestants and Baptists of the colonies. And when we were fighting against King George III, we were fighting against the Pope. We were fighting against the Jesuit order. We were fighting against the Jesuit papacy because the Jesuits in control of George III did not want a successful American revolution. They wanted the British to conquer us, then reduce us all to Anglicanism, and then control the Anglican Church by the Archbishop of Canterbury, and thereby bring us all back to Holy Mother Church. That was the design of the Jesuits and the King of England. So that's another topic that I'll be covering. The true history of the American Revolution, that modern-day miracle, as my dear friend and former professor Arthur Bowser tells us, and he's been on Liberty Radio Live, telling us about these things. So I want to touch on all those matters. I want to touch on the matter of what's near to my heart is founding of a new white Anglo-Saxon Protestant nation somewhere here in North America. And I call for some place here in Pennsylvania. The counties of counties of Lebanon, the counties of Lancaster, and the counties of Berks is a nice place to start. Because you see, the Roman Catholics being loyal to the papacy, have destroyed every vestige of the Protestant Reformation in North America. They have crushed us. They have taken over every position of power in politics, in banking, in academia, and in religion, quote-unquote, which I despise organized religion, but We'll just call it the organized Protestant religions, the organized Baptist religions. They're all organized and centralized and incorporated and flying the goldfinch flags. They're all taken over by the Jesuit order, all incorporated into the state because they're all incorporated. They've got 501c3 status, and hence they're busy serving the Pope. It's the tentacle of Rome. If your church is incorporated, it's the tentacle of the Pope. That's why we have to practice the doctrine of separation pursuant to Second Corinthians chapter 6. Come out from among them, ye separate. Touch not the unclean thing. Incorporated church is an unclean thing. We'll be touching on that also. I will be also uh, reading to you certain tremendous works, because I realize a lot of you guys are truck drivers. You are uh, busy with pouring concrete, setting rebar, setting steel, tying rebar, setting steel, and uh, laying block. You're doing physical things. And so you, you, have, you, can't, you don't have time to do this kind of research. That's where I come in. I have the time to do it, and I can tell you about it. And you need to understand that with the documentation I will give you, you need not cringe from those people who call you conspiracy theorists. You're a conspiracy theorist? No, I'm a conspiratorial historian. 
There's nothing theoretical about conspiracy at all. It's right in black and white. When I read the Council of Trent, when I read that awful, terrible, ecumenical Council of Trent from 1545 to 1563, I see nothing but conspiracy against the Protestant Reformation and all nations born out of the Protestant Reformation. Because you see, the Jesuit order is a military company, which leads us to our next topic. The establishment of the Jesuit order. This is why I wrote my book, Vatican Assassins, Wounded in the House of My Friends, third edition. It's in its fifth printing now. And the reason I wrote the book was to show that the Jesuits were the ones behind the assassination of Kennedy. And if I, had, if I came to that conclusion, I had to give a general history of the Jesuits. So that's what I did. It took me approximately 20 years to write it, on and off. Then a few more years to rewrite it because I had some grammatical mistakes and some factual, some other mistakes as far as facts are concerned. I had to get those corrected, but it's there for you to read. It's there for you to be, um, for you to consult it. And thus, the purpose of the Jesuit order, according to James A. Wiley, in his great work, his three-volume work, The History of Protestantism, was number one to take Jerusalem from the Saracens, to take Jerusalem from the Muslims. That's why Loyola went to Jerusalem. He took a ship to Jerusalem and went there. And he wanted to establish the headquarters for his order in Jerusalem. Now do you see why I teach that the Jesuits are the ultimate Masonic Jewish labor Zionists? Masonic Zionists, the Jesuits are not Jews. Jews have been admitted into Jesuit order since 1946, but the leading Jesuits are white and they're Gentiles. They're of the nations. They're, they're Japhethites. So we're going to cover the purpose of the Jesuit order, the first being to take Jerusalem from the Muslims, and the second being to destroy the Reformation. And it is this great dialectic, the Reformation, which means the Bible and the Calvinists taking up the sword of just defense, versus the Counter-Reformation and the Jesuits with their Council of Trent and their phony baloney Bible of Jerome's Latin Vulgate. So this is the great the great dialectic. This is how we understand all modern day news. This is how we understand history for the last 500 years. This is the key. The Reformation versus the Counter-Reformation. Luther versus Loyola. The Bible versus canon law and the immoral Jesuit theologians. They're not moral theologians, they're immoral. And this is how we understand the 20th century. This is why, by the grace of God, I had to generally rewrite the history of the 20th century. Nobody wrote it in the light of the Reformation versus the Counter-Reformation. Nobody looked at the Second Thirty Years' War, beginning with World War I and ending with World War II, and then re-evaluated the geographic lines of, uh, of division before and after and realized that those lines of divisions had, been, had decimated the Reformation. Nobody wants to talk about that. Well, I do. I think it's important. And I think it's important for our, for our 
equals, and I think it's important for our posterity, they need to know what's been done to them. We need to know what has been done to us over the last hundred years. Kind of like that movie Braveheart with Mel Gibson, and even though he's a Jesuit brother and tied to the Jesuits, uh, Jesuit William Fulco, I kind of like it when he says, I'm going to go pick a fight. He says, for all the rape and murder they put upon us Scotch people for the last hundred years. That's exactly what the Jesuits have done here. For all the rape and murder and theft and destruction of the white American people and everybody else for that matter that the Jesuits have done for the last hundred years during the 20th century, which the Jesuits had nothing but victory after victory in the 20th century. If you see that movie, and I don't recommend your children see it, but for your own information documentation, if you see the movie, The Devil's Advocate, that demon-possessed Knight of Malta, Roman Catholic Al Pacino, giving his Jesuit summation there towards the end of the movie, he says, who can deny, as he's speaking for the devil, who can deny that the 20th century was all mine, all of it? Well, it sure was. It sure was. And nobody recorded how that happened, except me and a few other guys that I want to bring to your attention. So I want you to realize that the Jesuits have completely and nearly destroyed white Protestant Western civilization. They miscegenated us. This broadcast is completely for racial separation. I do not believe in integration. We know the Bible does not teach integration. The Bible does not teach miscegenation. The Bible does not teach race mixing. If you want to have an empire, why then you race mix everybody. But if you want to facilitate its downfall, you continue to race mix it. And if you read Edmund Walsh's work, uh, Total Empire, he will sh- and also his other work previous to that, he talks about the Bolshevik Revolution. It's on my shelf here. What is it? Uh, oh, it's in front of me. Um, the fall of the Russian Empire, he'll tell you right there that the miscegenation of the races was key to being able to create the confusion, the anarchy, the fall of the Russian Empire, and ultimately the imposition of Jesuitical absolutism in the form of Bolshevik communism, which is no different than, than Nazism, except one persecutes the Jew and the other doesn't, as far as their open policy is concerned. Everything else is identical. They work together. Communism and fascism works together. As I said before, so the purpose of the broadcast will be to teach you these things also, these matters too. Another purpose of the broadcast, as I mentioned, teaching racial separation, racial separation of the nationhood. Black men need their own country somewhere here in North America. Now, I don't believe they can maintain that country on their own without some help from white men, because according to Genesis chapter 9, blacks, the descendants of Ham, were to be servants of the sons of Japheth and the sons of Shem. And that's the history of the black race for the last, oh, 3,000 years or so. And furthermore, only the Japhethites could live in the tents of Shem. The blacks were never given that permission, and North America is the tents of Shem. The Shemites, or the American Indians are Shemites. I have a had a Japanese friend, uh, Brother Daniel Fuji. He went to be with the Lord. He was a missionary to his own native Japan. 
And he said, I'm an American Indian here. He said, they look just like me. So we thought there was some relation. I said, well, you're both Shemites. The Shemites are South America, Central America, Mexico. These are all Shemites. American Indians, Canadian Indians, Canadian Natives, they're all Shemites. Asians, Chinese, Japanese, they're all Shemites. They're by far the largest population in the world. But we Japhethites, we white men, we sons of Japheth, were given permission by God through Noah to be able to live in the tents of Shem. And the devil has taken that and used these white men working for the Pope to subjugate these Asian nations. Again, a supposed white power structure. Indeed, we have white, white dominance. I know you don't like the word white supremacy, so I'll use white dominance. We have white dominance for evil in the earth. It's only 10% of the world's population. The men who run the world are white men. And the last thing these white men want is a unified white nation that is Protestant and Bible-believing and owns guns with, with patriotic nationalistic leaders to resist them. They cannot stand against that people. The Asians, they can't stand against them. The white power structure totally took over China when they put Mao Zedong in power in 1949. The white power structure runs communist China. Why do you think the British, run by that wicked queen, that prostitute of the Pope, that dame of Malta, why do you think they gave Hong Kong to the Red Chinese? What, in 1999? They're building their colony of Chinese, of communist China, to use it for the invasion of North America in the future. It's white power structure that's done this. It's white power structure that built communist Russia. Why do you think that, that uh, Woodrow Wilson allowed those ships to, uh, with Leon Trotsky and these other Jews working for the Pope um, out of New York City to go over and participate in the Bolshevik Revolution led by Jesuits like Bishop Ropp, R-O-P-P, and others for the overthrow of the Romanov dynasty of which Nicholas II was a participant that night of Malta? working with his cousin, George V, that night of Malta, uh, king of England, for the overthrow of the Romanov dynasty, for the overthrow of the patriarch of the uh, Russian Orthodox Church, so they could steal all the gold and emeralds and rubies of the patriarch, and then put that country under the iron fist of Lenin and ultimately Stalin, who was a Gentile. Joseph Stalin was trained by Capuchins and Gori. And then he was given a, 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 a scholarship by the priest from Gori to go to Tiflis Seminary in Georgia. Georgia was not part of Russia at the time. And the Jesuits had been expelled from Russia from 1820 to that day. And in 1922, when Stalin is made the secretary of the Communist Party, the Jesuits are formally allowed re-entrance into Russia under communism. Good morning and welcome to the Wednesday, June 9th, 2010 edition of the Investigative Journal. I'm your host, Greg Szymanski, listening to LibertyRadioLive.com. And today my guest is author Eric John Phelps, also radio broadcaster. And Eric uh, has a website called VaticanAssassins.org. I recommend you go there if you want to learn the truth about uh, the Jesuit order in America. And every time, uh, like I said last week, uh, when I had Eric, I'd have him back on for another appearance. Every time I want to get the juices flowing and uh, 
understand really what the Jesuit order is all about, I call on Eric. And Eric, today, I just wanted to start out this way. I get, I'm getting a lot of emails that are getting me a little bit angry that people just aren't getting it. Uh, the war on terror, uh, Islam, all of this uh, hatred that's being mounted against people. Uh, but no one really understands. You know, there are people that do, but the majority of people just don't get it. Uh, when we tell them uh, that uh, terrorism was orchestrated here, the Muslim people are being used by the uh, Vatican, just like the American people, and this hatred is being whipped up to create a war to kill off the good people of both uh, uh, Christians and Muslims. And I wanted to get this set the record straight. Let's start off by saying this statement. Uh, I want you to prove to us, beyond a reasonable doubt, that the Vatican created Islam, and uh, silence some of these email critics I get, because I'm getting tired of it. Go ahead. Okay, um, if the, your listeners would like to go to my broadcast of the last two Fridays, the last previous Fridays, they can listen to uh, Count Vittorio Vivaldi III out of Venice, who uh, very well shows that the Islam is the creation of the Vatican. And uh, we also can see that the essential tenets of Islam are the exact same tenets of Romanism. Islam has jihads. Romanism has crusades. Islam has a central city, Mecca. Vatican has a papacy. Roman Catholicism has a central city in Rome. Uh, Islam counts beads. They have little beads that they count. So does Romanists. They have... Uh, it's very, very many, many identical things. I have ten strong points that I've posted on the absolute similarity of Islam and Catholicism. And what the Count surprised me with is that he said that the papacy has always been a control of Islam. That's why Saladin was good to the, to the people allowing to leave Jerusalem after he had conquered Jerusalem. And why he had killed 230 Knights of Malta and Knights Templars. He was killing these Knights of Malta and Knights Templars because they were essentially enemies of the papacy. They wouldn't rule the kingdom of Jerusalem for the Pope. So Saladin killed 230 of them. I mean, if we go on and on, we can see, for example, the war in Serbia by, uh, uh, in the 1990s by uh, the Croatia and the Albanian Muslims. Uh, this is the continuation of using Islam to destroy the Orthodox Christian people. Uh, we see that uh, when, when Constantinople was conquered in 1453, it falls, they behead the last Greek emperor, there and the second Rome, which is which Constantinople was called, falls to Islam by creation of the papacy. So there are many, many, many evidences of it. Whenever Islam raises its sword, it always kills for the benefit of the Pope. They don't go and kill all the Roman Catholic people. They don't kill the Roman hierarchy. They kill non-papal Christians, the Orthodox, the Protestants, and Jews, as well as furthering the temporal power of the Pope. Yeah, you know, two things, you know, I'm just going to use a country as an example here because I was just checking it out the other day. I'm just going to talk about uh, Morocco, and I'm going to bring it up for this reason. For example, here in America, we see a hidden agenda regarding how uh, the ecumenical movement works and basically how one day here you're going to have to worship the way the Pope wants you or forget about it. Now, behind the agenda, we have things like Waco. We have other things going on that make it pretty difficult for a biblical American to exist here in this country. Uh, but you still can do it openly, so to speak, unquote. Now, you go to a country like Morocco, and you find that, uh, boy, if you start uh, preaching Christianity there, 
there are laws against it. Uh, and that is all over the Muslim world. Now, tell us about why it's in place this way. I know, I know you understand this quite well, but you'll, you'll find that Christians can't uh, practice Christianity in a Muslim world. But here in America, we see that Muslims are welcome in open arms. I think it's to create some type of friction, don't you? Of course, it creates friction, but it also, <laughs> it also prevents the preaching of the true gospel to the Arab peoples, because we have to remember that there are only two racial peoples in the Bible that have biblical promises to inherit: the racial Hebrew-Jewish Israelites and the racial sons of Ishmael, which we know today as the Arabs. And so, therefore, the papacy seeks to do its best to keep the true gospel from going to the Arab peoples, for which reason it created Islam in the first place, to kill out all the non-papal, Bible-believing Christians who are, who are Arabs in Arabia and in North Africa. And so they continue with this quest. They don't want to have the gospel there, because if the gospel goes to the Arab people, they might begin to have prosperous civilizations and a middle class. Okay, I changed my mind. We're going to listen to more of Eric Phelps. Might as well finish up this, this recording with listening to Eric Phelps. Got some good things to say. They say stuff that others aren't willing, so at least he's hey, maybe he has a point with a few things. Maybe he doesn't. I don't know. Okay. <laughs> and a people then that would rise up and say, listen, the papacy has always been our historical enemy. Yeah, good point. And I wanted to I wanted to mention this. Can you explain to us from your research uh, how the papacy created Islam? Uh, can you give us some historical facts? It's a huge subject, but just touch on some of the main points going back in history to lay a foundation for what we're saying. According to the Count and according to Ex-Jesuit Alberto Rivera, the Augustinians in North Africa tutored Muhammad. They taught him. And according to the Count, the Quran was written in Rome. Muhammad never wrote that. He never received it in addition. And so therefore, um, Islam, when you see this happening, then you can understand why Islam never persecuted the Augustinians, the North African Christians. Remember, Augustine was a pagan. The four, the four primary theologians from Roman Catholicism, one of them is considered, all of them considered some of the fathers of Roman Catholicism or the papacy, doctrinally. And the foremost is Augustine. Augustine hated the Jews. And so therefore, the Augustinians imbibed their hatred for Jews in a religion that they created for Arabs, who are the natural enemies of the Jews, pursuant to the Bible. But the sons of Ishmael would always be uh, against the sons of Isaac. And so they fashioned a religion for the Arab people to fit this biblical controversy between the sons of Isaac and the sons of, uh, sons of Ishmael. And thus, Islam never persecutes from a Catholicism. In fact, Islam goes into in about the 8th century. And Islam goes into Spain and Portugal area, and it conquers the Visigoths. The Visigoths were non-Roman Catholic Christians. And after they used Islam to kill out the Visigoths or drive them over the Pyrenees into France, then the Vatican uses its military to drive the Muslims ultimately out of Spain. And by 1606, they're out. 
So we see many, many examples of Islam being used to destroy the enemies of the papacy. And why? Because Islam created in North Africa by the Augustinians tutoring Muhammad. And one of Muhammad's wives, wives had been a Roman Catholic nun. Yeah, it's interesting when you look at his life. And now we're talking, what, in the 7th, 8th century now? 7th century. 7th century, okay. So, yeah, and when you start reading the Quran, you see so many similarities to Roman Catholicism, don't you? I mean, it's it's a warlike religion, exactly as the papacy. It calls for the conversion of the infidel with a sword, just as Roman Catholicism calls for the conversion of the heretic with a sword, as Thomas Aquinas wrote in his Summa Theologica, and I have a quote in my book. They're identical. So now let's fast forward to 9-11, and you see, well, you see throughout uh, the 1960, you know, I'd like to talk about that for a moment, then we'll hit 9-11, because we've, we've in a sense... Well, left it off the table on many radio shows, uh, connecting the dots between how terrorism was orchestrated by the Jesuits. We hear about 9-11, and there's still constantly information coming out about really what happened. But, by, and by, but, by the way, before go ahead. I forget, I put a recent post up on my website on Tim Risser. Okay. And that relates to him implying that 9-11 was an inside job on June 1st, 2008. And 12 days later, he's dead. Yeah, interesting. I was just talking about him with a friend the other day, too. Let's, uh, let's hold that thought and maybe touch on him in the second half hour, but I wanted to get back. Uh, many people don't realize the Jesuit roots in Iraq and how they were kicked out of the country, I believe, in the late 1960s. I think we could start there and then move our way into how terrorism has been orchestrated and how uh, these organizations have been fomented by Western money uh, to create this controversy between Muslims and Christians now that's going on in the world. Go ahead. Start in the 60s with the Jesuits in, in uh, Iraq. Interesting. Okay, let me, let me go a little bit before that, Greg, if okay. I can. Um, when Muhammad died, there became a schism between the Muslim people as to who would be his successor. The ones that chose the successor to be Ali were the ones that were called then the Shia Muslims. And so we have this schism after the death of Muhammad between the Sunnis and the Shia. And they are mortal enemies one toward another. The Sunnis hate them and regard them as infidels. And so the Shia now, because the Shia are also really the enemies of the papacy, because Sunni Islam was created by Rome. Sunni it's, uh, Shia Islam was not created by Rome. And so now we have this enemy of the papacy called Shia Islam. And even Suleiman the Magnificent fought against the Shia. Um, uh, Saladin fought against the Shia, according to the count. And so Shia are the target, because to have a unified Islam against the West, you have to neutralize the Shia peoples. Where do they live? They live in southern Lebanon. They live in Iraq. They live in Iran, they live in Afghanistan, and some of them live in, I believe, a portion of Somalia. That's all. That's only where the Shiites live. So, therefore, this crusade, this crusade with, uh, in 1960, over the 1960 now, the Jesuits had a very lovely university in Baghdad called Baghdad University. I believe it was the New York province. It was the Maryland province, the New York province that had established this Baghdad University in uh, Iraq. 
for the purpose, of course, training its leaders, and its leaders would then be subject to the papacy. Um, in 1969, the Shia of Iraq expelled the Jesuit order from their country. Now that is why, very important. Why did they do that? Because they're meddling in politics like they were here? That's right, because they were meddling in their politics. So the Shia wouldn't put up with it. So they kicked them out. And some of the leaders uh, then were, went down an airplane crash shortly after that. In 1971, the Jesuits bring the Ba'ath Party to power and put Saddam Hussein in power. And what does he do? He persecutes the Shia people of Iraq. He involves them in the Iraq-Iranian war so the Shia can mutually kill each other. And all of this is financed by the U.S. Jesuit-controlled uh, government, because if you read a tremendous book called... Uh, uh, I think it's called Spider's Web. It's the Illegal Army of Iraq by Friedman. He shows you during the Reagan administration for eight years that his administration on both sides, Iraq and Iran, during the Iraq-Iranian War because they want to kill off all the Shia. And you see some pictures that are quote, still floating around of Donald Rumsfeld seeming very friendly with Saddam Hussein as they're shaking hands and wondering, you know, I'm wondering what they're talking about behind the scenes, but I guess we can fill in the... The gap here, uh, they're probably, again, fomenting war there, correct? Absolutely. Absolutely. The Shia peoples of Iraq and Iran have to be brought down in order to, organ to completely unify Islam. It's just like you have to completely bring down all Protestant sects. It's like this heretic we heard about in the middle news broadcast. Uh, you have to bring down all Protestant sects and submit them to the Pope by the National Council of Churches, World Council of Churches, and you've got to do the same thing with the Orthodox. You've got to subject the Orthodox Christian Church to the primacy of the Bishop of Bishops in Rome. So they, uh, they have the same principle applied to Islam. You must subject the Shia to the Pope of Rome, and since they won't submit, we have to kill them, and then they will submit to our Sunni leaders, and then our Sunni leaders will lead the way in the crusade against the West. So right now they are conducting a crusade against the Shia Muslims. We see this very same thing when, uh, when Israel invades in 2006 into southern Lebanon. Of course, Hezbollah started it, but Hezbollah is run by the Knights of Malta. And, and the Knights of Malta run in Hezbollah with their, with their hospital there in the border, according to the count in southern Lebanon. They then recruit all the young Shia men to fight in Hezbollah and then incite Israel to come and invade uh, southern Lebanon, which they never won, and killed the Shia people. So it's a war on the Shia of all fronts. I believe when they detonate Detroit, there's the largest Shia Muslim population in the United States in Detroit. They're going to go up in smoke. It's all a crusade now against the Shia. You know, I want to talk about that, uh, what you just said about Detroit. But first, uh, just give us just a little bit of background. So we have the papacy creating Islam. How did this schism happen? Where did, uh, why did the Shia, uh, Shiites rebel against the papacy? What was the main reason there that you found out? As I perceive it, the papacy being in control of Muhammad wanted to continue its absolute control over Islam after his death with his successor that um, succeeded him, that was a Sunni. I can't remember his name right now. And with this, with this uh, alley laying claim to being the descendant of Muhammad, the Muslims who followed him, they became what is called Shia. And this now was totally out of control of the papacy. 
Papacy now is learning, learning, losing control of the sect called the Shia through Ali. And so the Jesuits now control the Jesuit papacy. Have to rid the, the Islam of this of this of this schism, so that Islam can be united for the purposes of the papacy. And one of those purposes is to be used against North America. I think we, you know, looking at, well, okay, the Jesuits thrown out of uh, Iraq. We have our uh, domestic and foreign policy being, we see the uh, ties between uh, Spellman back in the uh, Vietnam War. And we move our way into now this uh, war on terror after uh, communism falls, uh, and that is orchestrated as well. But just for, uh, uh, just a refresher course, People may not be able to get their mind around how uh, our government, how the Jesuit order can create a terrorist organization that can work its way into America, do the damage they've done on 9-11, and then create this whole propaganda campaign that the people of Islam are all behind this so that they can whip up a war between the two. So tell us how this is funded how they can operate this way, how the Jesuit order really works behind the scenes so that when people uh, present this premise, they can back it up. Because most okay. people in America still believe uh, that uh, the Jesuits have nothing to do with 9-11. Go ahead. Okay. Uh, to begin with, we have to remember there weren't any Muslims on those airplanes. The airplanes were empty. Um, those airplanes were guided into the buildings by the military-industrial complex of this country. And as I've said for 10 years now, George J. Tenet, Knight of Malta, the DCI at the time, Director of Central Intelligence, a Roman Catholic, trained by Jesuits at the Georgetown School of Foreign Service, he was the mastermind of 9-11. So therefore, this Knight of Malta, George J. Tenet, his master at the time then, was the head of the, of the federal branch of the Knights of Malta, which at the time was Edward Cardinal Egan. Edward Cardinal Egan was the Archbishop of New York City. He's now been replaced by Timothy Dolan. And so Edward Cardinal Egan was the, was the Darth Vader, was the overseer of the entire 9-11 scenario using his DCI, George J. Tennant, just as Cardinal Spellman was the overseer of the assassination of JFK using his Knight of Malta DCI, John McCone. It's the same system, but with different players. Now, with this, with this 9-11 that they brought about, they then uh, justified a crusade into Afghanistan in the following month. Uh, Afghanistan, was, uh, Afghanistan was invaded on October 7th, 2001. October 7th is a very important day in history because it's on October 7th. 1571, 15, uh, that the Battle of Lepanto was fought between the forces of Suleiman the Magnificent and the, the Holy Roman Emperor with his Knights of Malta and the Jesuits. And the Battle of Lepanto in 1571 is considered the most important sea battle in world history, second only to the Battle of Actium, in 31 B.C., when Octavian defeated Cleopatra's fleet and then went down to Egypt, killed her, and took over the kingdom. 
So this Battle of Lepanto is extremely important for the listeners to remember because on October 7th, it took place. Suleiman was defeated. The Middle East was then was opened up to the Crusaders once again. And it's on this very same October 7th day that the U.S. invades Afghanistan. So they start the crusade of 7, 2001, against the Shia of Afghanistan, primarily. So that's, uh, that's, that's kind of where it starts, and so now here we have it. And then the other thing I want to stress is that because the vast majority of white people in this country are ignorant as to these historical facts, they are successfully being herded into right-wing white Jesuit fascism. I just saw a guy email me a, a truck with a bumper sticker on it, and it has uh, the Twin Towers burning. It said, I learned all that I need to know on 9-11. But I learned all I need to know on Islam about 9-11. And so, and there was a, a redneck somewhere down in the south, somewhere he had the Confederate flag, and he had, uh, and he had this painted on the back of it. And I thought, this is exactly what they're doing. They're inciting these people, these white people primarily, to unite under a fascist resistance and fight this crusade because they refuse to believe that 9-11 was an inside job of this government. Exactly. And then if we start really looking behind the scenes and looking at all the facts that prove that, uh, we have to go one step farther and then decide, you know, and try to uncover who was behind it and how they orchestrate these things. And that's where it's very important to begin to look at the Jesuit order behind the scenes and, all of their shenanigans throughout the course of history seems to be uh, forgotten by the American people, and this is why they can get away with it. Uh, you make a fact in your book, Vatican Assassins, uh, that they've been kicked out of uh, over 80 countries in, in world history, and this is only since the 1530s when they were formed, correct? From the 1540 to, what, about 1931, according to Jesuit uh, Thomas Campbell, who was the former president of Fordham University, he lists 83 countries, cities, and states that they had been expelled from since their creation. Mm-hmm. But the other point I wanted to make was that uh, the question is, well, how do you, what makes you think the Jesuit order did this if it was Cardinal Egan in the Knights of Malta? The point of my book is that the Jesuits have been in complete control of the Jesuit of the papacy since no later than 1814, after the formal revival by a bull issued by Pope Paul VII. And in that bowl, he gives them all their previous privileges and immunities. And in about 1886 or so, Pope Leo XIII was poisoned. And he was approached by a Jesuit and said, listen, you've been given a poison, but we only have the antidote. And he said, you will sign this bull, giving us all of our previous power back. And if you don't, you're going to die. If you do, we'll give you the antidote. And so Leo XIII signed the, signed the bull. He was given the antidote, and he lived. Yeah, interesting. And so now we have the same... The same thing going on to, you know, one thing I want to mention regarding uh, Cardinal Spellman, uh, when I interviewed a New York police detective who was working on a pedophile problem, his name was Gene, uh, or Jim Rostein, he mentioned that uh, it was well known that Spellman was considered to be one of the most powerful, if not the most powerful man in America. And uh, that has just carried on. In fact, Okay, my guest is Eric John Phelps, author of Vatican Assassins. You can go to his website at vaticanassassins.org. Uh, you can buy that book if you uh, haven't. And I tell you, it's uh, it's well worth reading. A lot of facts in there that 
uh, kind of put the puzzle together because everybody wonders what's really going on in America, what's happening behind the scenes. Well, this is really what's happening, and uh, the real clue is that you don't hear about it in the mainstream media. Yes, it's the things you don't hear about that really are causing the problems in America. And if you can cut the roots of the tree out, you might get to the, you might topple this uh, evil tree that's been growing here in this country. Uh, we can talk about a number of things happening. Uh, just today, we can look at the Gulf Coast. Uh, Eric, you mentioned uh, terrorism on the on the threshold here, maybe in Detroit. But I wanted to just finish this up by uh, talking about that recent flotilla, uh, that peace flotilla that was going to Gaza, boarded by Israelis, and then this uh, firefight began. Uh, how do you view that as uh, the spark that's going to start off? Uh, this huge conflict in the Middle East that's going to flow into this country? What's your thoughts? Well, I think that's part of it, but I think the spark that's going to cause it is when Israel attacks Iran, because that's going to happen. Um, I believe the purpose for this whole flotilla fiasco, remembering, of course, that the Arabs have no right to Gaza. They only have a right outside the land promised to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob and his physical descendants. And that doesn't include Gaza, that doesn't include the West Bank, and it doesn't include the Golan Heights. That's all Israeli, Jewish, Hebrew land, and they have no right to it whatsoever. So now, uh, the, they're, they're, what they've done is they have created this agitation. It's the Pope's agitation. Remember, he's the one that's established Gaza. He's the one that's established West Bank. He's the one that wants to establish uh, uh, East Jerusalem for the Muslims. This is all from the papacy. Remembering the papacy always benefits from every dialectic, every conflict, every agitation that it creates. And uh, so what they're doing is is they are seeking to unite the Muslim world against Israel and against the U.S. And part of this unification involves the breaking away of Turkey out of the Turkey that was created by the Freemason and mass murderer uh, Ataturk in 1922. Ataturk did away with Sharia law, and Turkey, after it had killed approximately 2 million, Muslim, 2 million Armenian non-papal Christians in the Armenian massacre, which Turkey denies to this day, by the way, uh, all killing them for the benefit of the papacy, because the papacy hates the Orthodox Armenians, and Islam wielded the sword to kill them. So Turkey is being driven out of its uh, somewhat neutral position, as it had all the way to NATO, when it was the southern flank of NATO, and now through this Gulen movement, Fatullah Gulen, uh, this man who is probably the most influential Muslim now in the world, who has been, who went into a voluntary exile in Pennsylvania here. Mm-hmm. So you know the Maryland Provincial is allowing this uh, Gulen leader to live here, and he has a protected compound up near the Poconos somewhere. But what they're doing is using this Gulen movement they are driving Turkey into the real anti-Jew camp. Israel did a lot of business with Turkey. Yeah, and this flotilla originated in Turkey, right? Out of Turkey, that's right. Yeah. And, the, and the count tells me this is the Gulen movement. Well, this makes perfect sense because the Gulen movement wants to unite Islam for the creation of a new caliphate in the Middle East, out of Baghdad, out of what used to be the center for the Ottoman Empire. And so what we have here is Turkey being pushed in this direction. Now all the Turks are boycotting Israel, exactly what the Pope wants. And this will also be another reason for the Pope to say, well, Turkey, you're not going to get in the European Union. 
The papacy has never wanted Turkey in the European Union and will never be. The only part of uh, whatever was once Turkey was uh, southern Cyprus, which is Greek Orthodox, there in the EU, but northern Cyprus, which is Turkish, which was taken from the Greeks in 1974 by Henry Killinger, is not in the EU. So this whole thing is to keep Turkey out of the EU. It is to unite Turkey on the side of the Islamic world that will be in league with Russia. Mm-hmm. Yeah, interesting. And uh, this this move, you know, when, what... Uh, you mentioned that, you know, we we see now, let's move back to America here, uh, what's happening in the Gulf of Mexico, the blackening of the oceans, uh, as I call it. Uh, could it be environmental terrorism, Eric? Um, I think so. I think they're, they're, they're accomplishing several things with this. Because I do not believe it was an accident. It was not an accident that they decided not to put on the equipment that would have only cost $500,000. It was not an accident. <laughs> it was not an accident that Halliburton was the last, were the last people to leave the, the uh, uh, rig before it blew up. So there are many, many anomalies here that lead us to the, the, the same conclusion that it was no accident. Therefore, since it was not an accident, the question is who benefits? We always must ask this question, who benefits? Well, we know that the papacy, in its control of China, and its control of Russia, and its control of the Islamic Sunni world, is planning an invasion of the American Southeast. And I cover this in my book. That is why Jimmy Carter and the Congress gave the Panama Canal locks to, to Panama, which later then leased out its running to a red Chinese company called Hutchinson Wimpola. So the Chinese run the locks in Panama, and they're building a huge new Panama Canal there that will be finished, according to their estimates, in 1215. The Chinese are manning the locks, the red Chinese. Second of all, you have the Bahamas, which is the largest container shipping port in the Eastern Hemisphere for the most part, and China is there in the Bahamas. China is manning all the intelligence in Cuba, because, you see, Cuba was given to Jesuit uh, communist Fidel Castro to serve as a staging base for the invasion of America way back in 1960. That's why it was given to him. That's why Alan Dulles made sure that the Bay of Pigs fiasco failed. So we have this encirclement policy of China. Right now, China's going into Jamaica. My black Jamaican friends tell me there's lots of young Chinese there taking all their jobs. So we have this going on. Now you have Russia with a submarine and a couple of big bombers out of Venezuela. They're, they have their encirclement movement, and with this oil spill, I believe, I believe that if it continues, there will be a mandatory evacuation of the southeast coast. And when they evacuate those people out of the southeast coast, say, what, 250 miles in, you now have a clue. <laughs> you now can invade because you have nobody to resist you. Remember, especially those Southerners, those Mississippians and Alabamans, they're all armed to the teeth. Mm-hmm. So we've got to get those people out of the way to have a successful invasion base. Uh, that's one advantage. Another advantage is, um, remember, the BP is controlled by the Knights of Malta, specifically Queen Beatrix of the Netherlands. She owns Royal Dutch Shell, which is a part of British Petroleum, and you have Queen Elizabeth II, who's a dame of Malta. Both of them Bilderbergers, by the way. And uh, 
So they have orchestrated this for this particular reason. And Juan Carlos is involved in this too, and he is presently using his company of Sintra to build the Trans-America Court, Trans-Texas Corridor, I-69, through Mexico, to the U.S., and to Canada. And that will only happen with military protection. To, for that to happen, the U.S. has to invade Mexico. There has to be a reason to invade Mexico. Maybe the oil spill will serve as that reason. Yeah, and I mean, we we don't know if the, when the, there's an end to that. I mean, there's such, such uh, we don't even know how much is flowing out of that, uh, what they may even consider a, I call it a volcanic eruption of oil under the sea that is now, I know recent NASA photos, uh, and some of them haven't even been allowed to be released. They've now claimed this to be a national security incident uh, that I've read about. Uh claim that the spill is even larger than the state of Florida itself. Well, it's no doubt going to be used to justify uh, martial law. I mean, Obama, Joe Biden, really, Joe Biden sent uh, uh, with the SWAT teams to every offshore rig in the country now. Why did he send a SWAT team? Why didn't he send investigators? Mm-hmm. What they're going to do, they're going to nationalize the oil. Oil will be nationalized, just like they nationalize the banks, just like they nationalize the auto industry. They're going to nationalize oil, and this is part and partial of a fascist government. Fascism is always the unification between the cartel capitalists and the government of that country that these very same white cartel capitalists control. Now let's move over to the other borders in Mexico. Let's move over to Mexico and uh, talk about what's, uh, what's happening there in your recent research. How is that movement uh, also, the illegal alien situation, creating a weakness in that part of our country, in the West? Okay, okay. The, this is designed, this has been designed by the Jesuit order to, to Catholicize our southwestern border since 1876. And this is documented by Richard W. Thompson in his great work, The Papacy and the Civil Power, written in 1876. And so with this Jesuit design of bringing all these lower-class Mexicans into the country, uh, the Jesuits in Mexico are making sure they're leaving, and the Jesuits here are making sure they're coming in. And the staging base for uh, coming into the U.S. is the Jesuit stronghold of Arizona. And I posted something about this recently. It's called the San Xavier um, Mission. Uh, near Nogales, it's not too far from the Mexican border, and this is where I believe the Jesuits with their stronghold, set up by Eusebio Quino, who is considered to be the father of the cattle country, uh, the Jesuits are orchestrating this huge invasion through Arizona, and it will not stop. In fact, they've now incited more of this through a good piece of legislation that was signed by the governor there, but the Jesuits control her just like they control Arnold Schwarzenegger in California. The same Jesuit California provincial controls the California governor, the Arizona governor, the Hawaiian governor, and I believe the uh, Nevada governor. He controls that particular region of his province. So what they've done is now they have brought in all these alien Catholic Mexican invaders, which are soldiers. They bring in their flag. They plant their flags at the post office, at the public schools, demanding this and that. They have no intention of being American. They want to retain claim the Southwest, claiming that it was taken from them illegally. And this is part of the Mecha Aslan uh, uh, rhetoric. So with this now, they have got the agitation with the Mexicans. Now they've got the agitation with the 
with the good bill that was passed by all the whites now being driven into their corner. And so now we have the perfect place now to have a race war. And when this race war starts, I maintain they're going to ignite the black and white race war. At the same time, they ignite the Latino and white race war. This will then drive all the whites to desperation. Adolf Hitler will come to power. Northcom, NORAD, uh, Department of Homeland Security will spring into action. Blackwater will be with them, which is run by the Knights of Malta. And then they will come to the rescue and solve the problem. And here we'll have no constitution and be under martial law. And that's the purpose for the Mexican invasion. That's why Janet Napolitano doesn't want to stop. That's why George Bush didn't want to stop. That's why Barry Davis Obama didn't want to stop. It's absolutely necessary to bring America to fascist martial law to have this alien Mexican Roman Catholic and even uh, uh, Islamic invasion because there are many Muslims there too. Yeah, and they can use uh, Arizona as a powder cake here by creating this type of strong legislation supposedly against illegal aliens. Yeah, why didn't they do it 20 years ago? (laughs) Yeah. Why did they do it 25 years ago when it was starting to happen? They waited until they have 40 million of them in the country. Now we'll pass this legislation. Now we can foment domestic insurrection and, and rebellion. And all the Mexicans you see, every last one of them is going to the concentration camps. That's why I tell you Mexican people, you need to leave this country. You need to get back to Mexico as soon as possible. Yeah, I mean... Uh, I wanted to ask you what have you been? What's your research uh, centered on uh, in the last weeks or so? What's what's been on your mind lately, and what have you been talking about on your radio show a lot? Um, I talked about uh, George Allen, who was the past governor of Virginia. He was also uh, a U.S. senator from Virginia, uh, and what he did was he was to be really the foremost Republican candidate against uh, Obama. Well, he was credible. He did many good things. But he was given an order. And that order was to call an Eastern Indian who was born in Virginia to call him a macaca. Now, macaca is like using the term nigger or something like that to deliberately incite the listener and to then he would then come under attack. He used the term macaca twice, deliberately. When he used this term macaca, then everybody came out and said, what are you doing using this name? And then it turns out that his mother was, was living in North Africa, and she had learned this term because this was the term used for the black Congolese by, during the days of King Luthold II, and it was also a term used for East Indians that come here called the macaca effect, that the East Indians take jobs that rightfully should be Americans. So when he used this term macaca twice on video, <laughs> that completely caused him to lose the U.S. Senate race with, um, I believe the man was uh, Mr. Webb, Greg Webb. And so the Democrat won the U.S. Senate seat for Virginia, one of them, and that threw a majority Democratic vote in the Senate so that they could pass what Obama-Biden want. The second thing is he was to be the presidential nominee for the Republican Party. In 2006, in December, he withdraws because of this term that he used, and now he's not really fit to run, and that ensured that they would have that decrepit, uh, loser John McCain that would ensure an Obama-Biden victory, at least in appearance. So I maintain this George Allen, 
And he now has what's called the Friends of George Allen. You can Google it. And it has 300 of the most powerful men you ever want to see. It's got Bill and by the way, Bill, Bill Gates is funding the Gulen movement. Hmm. Uh, it's got, um, it's got uh, George W. Bush on there. It's got uh, uh, Carlucci, uh, Frank C. Carlucci III, former, DC, uh, former Deputy Director of Central Intelligence, Carlisle Group. It's got several billionaires, many senators, other big bankers. Uh, Verizon, the head of Verizon is not a multi Bruce Babico, I believe. It's got all these power brokers that are the friends of George Allen. What for? Mm-hmm. What for? Because I maintain George Allen, who is now some sort of an authority at the Reagan Memorial Library. That's, what they, that's where they nested him. They're waiting to bring him to power or somebody like him, waiting in the wings to then unite all the white people into their fascist movement. Because all of these agitations have been deliberately caused to bring some supreme fascist dictator to power, white fascist dictator to power. By the way, he's a Protestant, so we'll make him a Protestant. So we can't really trace it to Rome, right? Mm-hmm. And, then once, and then once he comes to power, then he'll implement all these Department of Homeland Security. Remembering, of course, that the Department of Homeland Security was created. It was, it's a design by John C. Gannon. John C. Gannon is a knight of Malta. John C. Gannon was in the Jesuit Volunteer Corps. John C. Gannon was an adjunct professor at Georgetown University. John C. Gannon is a Jesuit, and he created the Department of Homeland Security, which I call the Department of Homeland Security. So yeah, what I, I, yeah go, ahead. go ahead. So this is what I see with this George Allen, and that's, that was an article that I worked on, and then I just finished one on, on uh, Tim Russert yesterday. Yeah, I want to touch on Russert, uh, but first just let me mention this. Uh, when you join your research out there, listeners, uh, start at Georgetown. Start looking at a guy named Edmund Walsh, or Father Edmund Walsh, and then uh, go to Eric's book and start uh, tying the, uh, putting the dots together regarding all the people that have followed that man and the connections to them. You're going to be astounded how powerful these people are behind the scenes and uh, how no one in America knows about it, and the news media doesn't want to cover it. And the reason is they protect Rome as well, and they protect the Knights of Malta because many of the, the top media people are involved in the same organizations. Right, Eric? That's right. Henry Luce, the father of the Gannett newspapers and Time Life, he's a Knight of Malta. Cardinal Spellman's intimate friend. Remember, the, the press center of this country is Rockefeller Center, across the street from St. Patrick's Cathedral in New York. The CIA is there. The CFR is there. And whatever comes out of that is run by the Knights of Malta and is facilitating the purposes of the papacy, which is headquartered at St. Patrick's Cathedral, where the Knights of Malta are headquartered. So that is how we understand that. Jesuit M.M. Walsh, he himself was a Knight of Malta. Yeah. So, so they're organizing the press and, and they're orchestrating everything. And anybody that gets in their way, like Tim Russert, who was trained by Jesuit at Canisius, at Canisius High School in Buffalo, New York, he was trained by Jesuits at John Carroll University in Cleveland, who was the personal uh, gopher, the, the, the helper for Patrick Monahan, that Jesuit who, uh, U.S. senator out of New York who was a Fordham uh, visiting lecturer, and he was also part of the cover-up in the JFK assassination. Uh, Tim Russert was absolutely in the Jesuit order's back pocket. They made him and created him, but when he started to go against the story of 9-11, and when he started to infer that was, it was an inside job on June 1st, 2008, when he was uh, interviewing uh, McClellan, 
the Bush's uh, White House press secretary. Uh, what, 12 days later, he was dead. Right, and let's fill in those uh, fill in those 12 days. Now, we know that Russert also was one that he was a, what, he was a Meet the Press Sunday broadcaster, right? He had a big show. I, I'm not sure if it was Meet the Press. It was one it of was those Sunday shows. Meet the Press. Yeah, and so he was a very high-profile uh, figure in the media working for NBC, comes out of Jesuit University, has ties to Moynihan, like you said, uh, and then begins to look into 9-11 and, and starts to get the, uh, those, those broadcasts out about the possibility of it being an inside job. But he also starts interviewing Bush and Kerry regarding their skull and bones connections. <laughs> That's right. And, uh, you know, we, and on this radio station, you hear his voice most every day uh, saying over and over again, uh, well, what does that mean for America? And Bush says, I have, a, you know, whatever Bush says. Uh, so he then, after that occurs, uh, now he, he's talking about 9-11 as an inside job. He takes a trip to Rome, unbeknownst to many people. He was in Rome just prior to his heart attack. Uh, right. I believe at his son's graduation or something, but fill in the dots there for us. Yeah, it was a celebration for his son's graduation at, from Boston College, <laughs> Jesuit Boston College, probably the, the second most powerful and largest Jesuit university in the country. And he was there for a celebration, and what does he do? He has an audience with Pope Benedict XVI. He leaves Rome, he comes back to the U.S., and his wife and his son stay in Rome. I find that intriguing. I find that then, very interesting, yeah. Mm-hmm. And then not long after, he, he supposedly collapsed on the floor at NBC News there, which appears to me that he's in cup. And that's pursuant to the Jesuit oath of the fourth vow. Mm-hmm. Someone gave him a cup of coffee, and that was his last cup of coffee. And uh, strange things. No autopsy, right? No autopsy. I have a whole list of anomalies on my site there for review. There's no aut- autopsy. There's no. We don't even know the doctor's name who gave the autopsy. <laughs> <laughs> so it's a complete cover-up in his murder, and, uh, and and nobody's talking about it. And obviously the Jesuit hands in it because he attacked the Iraqi war. He didn't want the war in Iraq. He he he. Uh, he he mentioned or tried to uh, lead on with the idea that it was a inside job of 9-11. Remember, they got rid of Lou Dobbs. They fired him. They got rid of uh, Montel Williams because of his position on the Iraqi war. All these people that are against the Iraqi war and maintaining that 9-11 is an inside job have no voice whatsoever in the national press, and some of them are relieved and others will be killed. Right, and this shows you they'll kill their own because they created uh... – they created Russert, then thought he's a loose cannon. They had to get rid of him, right? That's right, just like Kennedy. And then, if you look at all the reports, they eulogize him as as if he was such a great man, and right. as if he was always. They they start talking about his strong Catholic roots and how he loved the papacy. Right. Uh, and the, and the other thing, yeah. And the other thing now just occurred to me is that if anybody starts to get on the thought that he was murdered, why it was Skull and Bones that did it. That Protestant operation, they did it. It wasn't the Jesuits. Mm-hmm. Failing to realize that the Jesuit William F. Buckley was skull and bones, not a Malta, and a host of other members of knighthoods. Yeah, I mean, that opens up the door to 
Uh, we don't have to end another show. We'll get into it again, the connection between Freemasonry and the papacy and how they use Freemasonry as basically a Protestant arm in this country. Just uh, in 30 seconds, uh, how important is that? Very important. That will open up a lot of understanding, like J. Edgar Hoover. <laughs> okay. Well, listen, Eric, uh, I want to thank you for being on the show. I recommend. What time's your broadcast this afternoon? Tell people about it. It's 5 to 6, and I have a third part three with uh, Brother Marco Ponzi. If you'll enjoy it, considering the alien deception in the space, alien deception invasion. Okay, that's great, Eric. Thanks for being on the show, and stay tuned to Eric's show this afternoon on Liberty Radio. Thanks again, Eric. Thank you, Greg. Okay, that was Eric John Phelps. Get his book, VaticanAssassins.org. And stay tuned for Tom Press's show called Inquisition Update. You're listening to LibertyRadioLive.com. This is the investigative girl. and uh, much, much more. Our website is redicecreations.com. That's R-E-D-I-C-E, creations.com. Take a look around, follow along in our daily updated news, and uh, don't miss out on the, uh, all the material that we have for you in our member section. Video, short films, radio with extended interviews with many of our guests, and uh, much more of that in the pipeline. All information is available on our website. And uh, today we have author Eric John Phelps back with us on the program. He is, of course, behind the book Vatican Assassins. We had Eric with us back in uh, September last year talking about his book, which now it's, uh, it's, it's in its, uh, its third edition, I think. It's available as a PDF, and uh, it's got an incredible 1,836 pages. Uh, his website is vaticanassassins.org. Go there, take a look at, uh, at all the articles we've got up there for you, and uh, do get a copy of the book if you're interested in the research that we'll be discussing here today. Uh, we're going to begin to talk about the Vatican connection and the potential creation of Islam and uh, move on from there forward in history to discuss some other connections to the consequent terror fraud, as it were, related to Al-Qaeda and uh, what we've seen after the 9-11 attacks and look at some of the establishment connections to all of this. Uh, so with that, welcome back to the program, Eric. Uh, nice to have you on the program again. Pleasure to be with you, Henrik, and your listeners today. Thank you for coming on. Much appreciated. Uh, I want to begin here right at the top, so to speak, and I go back to about, uh, what is it, 14 to 1500 years. And uh, the official story goes that the uh, you know, Prophet Muhammad was receiving re- revelations from God and uh, that this was memorized and recorded by some of his companions. And uh, this became as what we know as the Quran today. And Muhammad lived between, I think, 570 and 
632 BC. Uh, I mean, to start right with that, Eric, do you think that that story is a fraud, or is there some uh, some truth to that? You think? Well, as far as Constantine, uh, pardon me, as far as uh, Islam being started by Muhammad, is that what the question is? That's right. That's right. Um, well, according to Albert Rivera, and I believe his testimony in the ancient publication, The Prophet, I believe, and it can be substantiated from a few other sources, that uh, Islam is a creation of the Vatican through the Augustinian monks of North Africa, and that they were the ones who were responsible ultimately for the rise of Muhammad, and that they tutored him also. And the purpose for uh, Islam being created by the Vatican was, number one, to block the true gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ to the Arab people. And number two, to use the Arab peoples for the killing of the racial Jews throughout Arabia and North Africa, and also to use the Arab peoples for the killing off of true Bible-believing Arabs and racial Jews and uh, even some black Africans in Northern Africa, going all the way across North Africa to invade Spain, finally, and to uh, kill off the Arians who denied the the Roman Catholic, the Papal Trinity, as opposed to the Biblical Bible-based Trinity. And so that's why the Muslims occupied Spain and, uh, for nearly some 700 years. So the purpose for the Vatican in creating Islam was to use Islam as a sword of the church to kill off the enemies of the papacy, while at the same time keeping an arm's distance the papacy keeping at arm's distance from this killing, so it looks like the Vatican is innocent, and it's and it's an evil, wicked Islam that's doing it apart from any papal control. Right, right. But I, right. So I get into this in a CD that I have just finished. I use it at the conspiracy conference uh, in June of this year, and uh, I wasn't happy with it. I had, I had put in probably 900 hours, and it and it wasn't a good contrast for a uh, overhead for a pro PowerPoint. So I added a hundred more slides. I completely redid the contrasting. I enlarged the letters and I finished it about three weeks ago. So I have a thousand hours over in the production of this CD PowerPoint that I get into these points that your listeners can purchase and then they too can begin to present this to their friends. It's, it's very user-friendly. The person doesn't have to know anything about it. It's all self-explained with lots of good pictures and illustrations, 412 slides or PowerPoints. But, uh, and, and that is uh, uh, available uh, at your website, I guess, then? It's available on my website. Just contact me um, through the website, and it's 20 Federal Reserve notes plus shipping. And I don't know what the shipping would be in Sweden, but I'll just have to figure that out when I get an order. Beautiful. Yeah. It's, 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 it's affordable, and I regard it as a, a tremendous sequel to my book. And by the way, I do have Vatican Assassins now in book form. It's 13 pounds. It's nine and a half by, by 12. It's uh, five, and a, five inches thick. And so it's, it would cost something to ship, 
but it is now in one book form, so if anybody would want to have the book, they can also order that too. It's 325 Federal Reserve notes plus shipping. So that's okay. available. And then I have my Jesuit Watch newsletter that comes out bi-monthly, six, six issues per year. This is now available too, and that's 40 Federal Reserve notes a year. And please forgive me by using the term Federal Reserve notes. They're not dollars. I understand. Uh, do, you know, they're Federal Reserve notes, so in being a Bible believer, I should be honest about what the notes we're using. So that's, in fact, what they are. Well, it's good to clarify that. That gives a kind of a, you know, a mental reminder of what it is that you guys uh, are, are uh, you know, uh, dealing with over there, so to speak. So that's a good one. Right. Um, the post-Federal post Reserve Bank with the post-Federal Reserve notes and the Federal Reserve notes are nothing more than indulgences, evidences of debt, so we can go out and sin and incur debt to be more indebted to the Federal Reserve Bank controlled by the Knights of Malta. There you go. Uh, okay, let, let's get back on, uh, on track here, Eric, and talk a little bit more about the... You mentioned the Augustinian monks. Uh, do you think that they are potentially then responsible for uh, pinning down the, the Quran, or do you think that uh, this was actually written by, a, you know, uh, a, a historical character like Muhammad? No, Muhammad was an illiterate. He couldn't write. So it was done by others, just like Mein Kampf was written by others. Hitler was not an author. He never wrote a book. He didn't have the capacity. So it's the same way with Muhammad. So it was written for Muhammad, and I'm convinced that priests of North Africa had a hand in writing it. And uh, you can find many of the tenets and the Quran to be the exact same tenets of the Roman Catholic canon law. For example, uh, the one of the tenets of Islam is that those who do not believe in the false prophet Muhammad are what are called infidels. Well, in Romanism, in uh, the teaching of the canon law, if you do not, if you're not a member of the Roman Catholic Church, if you don't believe in the false prophet, the Pope, because the Pope considers himself a prophet. If you don't believe in the Pope, you're a heretic. So what is deemed an infidel in Islam and worthy of death is deemed a heretic in canon law and worthy of death. Right. Here's another... Yeah. Yeah. So here's another parallel. In Islam, they have what are called jihads. Right. And a jihad is a holy war. In Romanism, you have what are called crusades. They are holy wars. Same exact thing. In, in, in Islam, you have a man of blood founding Islam, Muhammad, a very immoral man, had many wives, illiterate. He is, uh, I, there's a book written available by Chick Publications who is talks of a former Muslim who truly converted to Christ and born again. He tells the true story about Muhammad. And you can get that from Chick Publications. But in Islam, you have Muhammad founding Islam, at least openly, and in Romanism you have Constantine founding Roman Catholicism. Right, right. Remember, Roman Catholicism doesn't exist one day prior to 325 A.D. Right. Roman Catholicism was created at the Council of Nicaea through Constantine. So you have this parallel between Muhammad, Constantine, heretic, uh, uh, infidel, heretic, jihad, crusade. They have central cities. And with Romanism, you have Rome as a central city. In Islam, you have Mecca as a central city. Hmm. So, so these parallels are identical. And we should not be surprised, therefore, because the papacy existed almost 300 years before Islam. Islam was founded in 610 A.D. Mm -hmm. 
Uh, Romanism was founded in 325. The first pope is Sericius, in about uh, 399 he's called Pope. Uh, but the first uh, pope to be given universal spiritual power was in 606 with uh, Gregory. So, so you have the establishment of Romanism with all of its beginning powers and universal um, uh, spiritual power over every human creature uh, four years before the founding of Islam. And the, the, the papacy could not reach to Arabia to carry out its decrees. So it created what is called the second son. Islam is the second son, uh, really, of the devil. And so Islam, being an extension of Romanism, it would carry out the essential doctrines of Rome under the guise of another religion. Hmm. Interesting. And, you know, the question, of course, is, and you brought this up, why, why because, again, on the surface, uh, for someone who is, you know, new to, to a subject like this, they can't get it through, you know, why would the Vatican be instrumental in creating an enemy of the Christian faith? Because that goes, you know, obviously against the logic. But what you were saying here, and to clarify that again, is that they're using this in order to create uh, a, a, this, this uh, dichotomy, if you will, of these warring factions. And in such a war with uh, such huge battles going on, you can consequently control populations better. You can kill off a lot of people that you're basically you want to get rid of. Is, is that correct, Eric? That's that's correct. And the other thing we want to remember is we always must just define true Bible-based Christianity as those people who believe that the Lord Jesus Christ, the Son of God, died for their sins according to the Scriptures, was buried and rose again, and coming back. And the Bible is the final authority for faith and practice of a true Christian. Romanism, on the other hand, has never been Christian. It is not Christian. It will never be Christian. It is papal mystery Babylon religion, as I show in this uh, CD that's available that I mentioned. So Romanism is not Christian. Only true Bible-believing people who hold the Bible as their final authority, faith, and practice, like the old Lutheran Church that was so prevalent in Sweden, which gave the Swedish people victory uh, during the Thirty Years' War led by the great Gustavus Adolphus. Uh, that kind of Bible-based Christianity that Gustavus, uh, Gustavus adhered to was what made a nation great. So we, can, we must always distinguish between pagan Romanism and Bible-based true uh, primitive first century and Reformation Christianity. Mm. You know, one other thing that comes up, uh, you know, as a consequence to this, the reason why I wanted to address the background potentially of this is that this has uh, uh, progressed and continued up into to our time, so to speak. We have, of course, something called the the Muslim uh, Brotherhood, and there's many authors that have written about the, the connections between the Muslim Brotherhood, uh, the Nazis, and and even progressing up from that up to Al-Qaeda. Have you looked into these connections as well, Eric? Sure. Um, to, to first talk about the Muslim Brotherhood, you must talk about the Masonic Grand Orient Lodge of Cairo and Istanbul. Those two lodges in the Near East are the most powerful Muslim lodges. Out of the Grand Lodge in Cairo comes the Muslim Brotherhood. And the black pope, the Jesuit general who controls the white pope, Pope Benedict XVI, is the black pope through his army of Jesuits that controls all Freemasonry. It's Scottish Rite in the West or Grand Orient in the East, and therefore he controls all the leaders 
out of Grand Orient Freemasonry, which include the Islamic leaders. For example, Saddam Hussein was one. Another one was King Hussein of Jordan. Another one was Ataturk of Turkey. Another one is Muammar Gaddafi of Libya. All these Muslim leaders are high-level Grand Orient Freemasons, and thus they are controlled by the Vatican. So the Masonic connection to the Muslim Brotherhood can never be overlooked. Second of all, we, we know that after World War II, that many of your top Nazis were, were brought out of Europe by means of the Jesuits uh, using their Vatican rat lines, also called the Odessa. And uh, many of these top Nazis went into the Near East. They went into Egypt. Uh, Dudley Wanger, who was one of the heads of the Einstein groupies in uh, the East, he went into Cairo. And then you have a couple who went into Damascus. Uh, but you have these high Nazi SS officers that have gone down into these Muslim nations and aided and abetted and have been helpful in establishing the Muslim Brotherhood. We have the PLO. The PLO is led by Yasser Arafat. His uncle was Hajimin al-Husseini. He was a Freemasonic hoodlum, a Muslim, who was made the uh, Grand Mufti of Jerusalem by Herbert Samuel. And Herbert Samuel was a Masonic Jew in England, in Britain, and because Britain had command of that land, breaking up the Ottoman Empire after World War I, they set up all their puppets in the new countries that they created. And one of their puppets for the Grand Mufti of Jerusalem was Hajimin al-Husseini. He was a Freemason. So the Jesuits in control of Britain and America for the entire duration of the 20th century set up all these Muslim leaders who were high-level Freemasons, secretly subordinate to the Pope. Now, Eric, explain to us again and clarify for us the connection there between Freemasonry and the Vatican, because again, on the surface, a lot of people looking at this, they recognize that most of the Freemasonic bands, it's, it's more... Uh, clinging to a Protestant faction than a, to a Catholic one, but but explain that for us and what is the connection there? Okay, the remember that the Vatican always has an outward policy, but it is false, and then it has a secret policy, and that is the true policy. So the open policy of the papacy has, for the last two hundred years at least, been anti-Masonic that no Roman Catholic, at least till John Paul II made it okay for Roman Catholics to join the Lodge, but that no no Roman Catholic could join the Masonic Lodge or else he would be excommunicated. Yeah, yeah. That was, you with me there? Yeah, yeah. That, that's the open policy, or was the open policy of the Vatican till John Paul II. The real policy is that the Jesuits wrote the first, first, first 25 degrees of Scottish Rite Freemasonry in 1754 in the College of Clermont in France, Paris, France. I have that documented from a Masonic source, and it's in my book. So the Jesuits, in creating Scottish Rite, the first 25 degrees, they then created the eight rites after that with Frederick the Great, when Frederick the Great, who was the head Freemason on the continent, protected the Jesuit order when Pope Clement suppressed the Jesuits with a papal bull in 1773, abolishing and extinguishing the Society of Jesus forever. And so it was Frederick II, or the Great, of Prussia, and it was Catherine II, the Great, of Russia, who were these two monarchs protecting the Jesuits during their 41-year suppression from 1773 
on the continent to foment and ignite the French Revolution. Right. And in, in igniting the French Revolution with Robespierre, who was Jesuit trained, the Jesuits then eliminated thousands of their enemies, including many Dominican priests, and then they... Um, they uh, brought Napoleon Bonaparte to power from Corsica. Yeah. And the Jesuits had been suppressed by the Pope. They had been expelled from South America. So some 2,000 Jesuits had been sent back from South America, from, the, from Paraguay and the, the, and the holdings of Portugal and Spain, because the Portuguese and the Spanish monarchs suppressed them out of their countries and out of all their holdings. So some 2,000 Jesuits were sent back to, to, uh, to Rome, and they then populated the island of Corsica, off the coast of France. Well, it's no, it's no coincidence that Napoleon would arise from Corsica. So Napoleon was the great avenger for the Jesuit order in punishing the Roman Catholic monarchs of Europe for suppressing the Jesuits, for punishing the Pope, for imprisoning Pius VII for five years, until he would agree to restore the Jesuit order in 1814. And they also used Napoleon for the destruction of many Protestants in Germany to destroy the Protestant Dutch Republic in 1806. The Jesuits accomplished many things with their great avenger, Napoleon Bonaparte, only to then ultimately betray him and poison him in St. Helena. But the connection to Freemasonry is this, and Napoleon Bonaparte was a French Grand Orient Lodge Freemason. Mm -hmm. <laughs> And his and his advisor, the second consul on the consulate, was Abbey Sayas, and Abbey Sayas was a Jesuit. So all the the entire war maneuvers of Napoleon Bonaparte were dictated by Abbey Sayas. Abbey Sayas was on the directory, and then he was the second consul on the consulate. The first consul being Napoleon. So this connection of masonry to the Jesuits is undeniable, and this is also a connection to the popes. Masonic Jewish labor Zionists reigning Israel today, that they too are totally controlled by the papacy, by the black pope, through his control of Freemasonry. Hmm. Very interesting. Yeah, I, I'm thinking back of the, you know, the, the perfect kind of mix or blend, if you will, between uh, Catholicism and uh, Protestantism. Uh, I'm thinking of, for instance, the Anglican Communion that they have in, in the UK. I mean, some of the first United Grand Lodges. Uh, were actually, uh, you know, if you will, uh, formed at, actually at the at, at the churchyard of, of St. Paul's Cathedral. And this was during the time that, you know, and, and this continues to this day, of course, uh, the British Church or the, the Church of England is, is what is known as the Anglican Communion. What's your take on that? And is that a merge between the two? Yes, the Jesuits have used Freemasonry to bring back all the Protestant sects. They've done it with the Presbyterians, with the Orange Lodge in Scotland. They've done it with the Dutch Reform, with lodges in Holland. They've done it uh, in England with their Grandmother Lodge in London there. And uh, you see Masonic power all throughout the old city of London. And just as an aside, we cannot forget that the Jesuits have controlled England since no later than King George III, that's 1760. That all the foreign policy of the English government has been pro-Rome, pro-Papacy, anti-White Anglo-Saxon Protestant, anti-True British Protestant people since no later than 1760. The United States has been controlled by the Papacy since no later 
then 1860, with the beginning, ultimate beginning of the war between the states in 1861. So all the domestic policy and all the foreign policy of the United States, which I call in my book, the Holy Roman 14th Amendment Corporate Fascist Socialist Communist American Empire mm-hmm. created in 1868 on July 28th with the declaring of the declaring of the 14th Amendment to have been passed. With the creation of this empire, the American Empire has been nothing but the hammer of the Pope to subdue all nations to the temporal power of the Pope with a series of other purposes. So the way that the papacy has brought this is about is by using their high Freemasons to run America and their high Freemasons to run England to ultimately bring all sex back to the papacy. What about this uh, you know, expansion of the Anglo-American empire? A lot of other you know, authors are looking into this fact that uh, you know, with, with the wars, of course, we can, we can take the most recent Iraq and Afghani uh, war that is going on right now but this is uh, an attempt by the British and American Empire, if you will, to try to dominate and, and control the world. Is that just a front, you think? That's a front. It's the same kind of front that, was, that Hitler was accused of. That Hitler wants to conquer the world. He's going to come to America and conquer the world. That Hitler wants to have a thousand-year right. That's all a front. That's all a propaganda lie. That's the open but false policy of the Vatican. The true policy of Hitler was to purge as many Jews out of Europe as possible, was to be involved in the creation or the recreation of the Latin kingdom of Jerusalem, which we call Israel, and I defend the Jews' right to their land, of course, but I do not defend the government that runs that country. Uh, And also the purpose of Adolf Hitler was to kill as many heretic Orthodox people as possible. And on the, on the other hand, on the flip side, then, because the Jesuits were controlling Stalin and Hitler and FDR and Churchill all together, they were all working together. Then, after towards the end of the war, the Jesuits were going to incite the Red Army to rape, pillage, and plunder the Protestant Prussian people to the end that Berlin is destroyed, all the Protestant cities of Germany are destroyed, some 72 cities were bombed to smithereens, and so they were destroying the Lutheran Protestant Prussians and Germans in Germany, as well as destroying the, as many Jews out of Europe, as well as destroying Rotterdam, destroying as many Protestant cities as possible, the bombing of Hull and Coventry in England. Uh, so it was a tremendous tensor uh, movement on behalf of the Jesuits controlling both sides, to the end now that Hitler never really wanted an empire. He hated the German people. He, he betrayed them many times. He ordered the bombing uh, of, uh, of Protestant cities by the Luftwaffe. He also ordered the German people to, to go down in the underground sewers to evade bombing, only to flood them and drown thousands of them. So Hitler was out to destroy the British people, or the German people, under the guise of creating an empire. Right. Well, the same thing's being done here. Under the guise of, of uh, we're going to make the world safe for democracy, right. under that under that uh, lying propaganda, what is happening is this government in the, in this empire is busy creating the world as the enemy for the American people, particularly the historic white Anglo-Saxon Protestant American peoples, and so that every nation in the world will be our enemy because of this foreign policy of Washington controlled by the Pope. And at the same time, this is not a war of expansion, creating an empire. It's a war of annihilation. It's a war of annihilating the Shia Muslims. Because the Shia, in differing between the Sunnis, the leaders of the Shia, or the leader of the Shia, is considered to be infallible. He's considered to be divine. Well, unlike the Sunni leader, he is considered a mere temporal lord. 
So there can be no man on the face of the earth that is considered infallible or divine except the Pope. Therefore, we have to destroy the peoples that would seek to make this man or follow this man as though he is divine. Um, you know, you, I'm thinking about Skull and Bones, uh, George W. the Boy Bush. Uh, if, if he and, and, of course, his administration, there's a lot of people behind that guy and so forth. We know that, but... Do you think that they are just uh, pawns in this game that are kind of willingly playing along, or do they have full knowledge of that they're actually destroying the empire, or do you think that they actually, you know, believe that they're helping to rebuild, you know, the, and and uh, and strengthen America? No, no, they have full knowledge. They're destroying it. That's why they've shut down all of our oil wells. They've shut down Gull Island on the Aleutian chain in Alaska. It has more oil than all of Saudi Arabia. There's enough oil for 200 years. They've shut down Prudhoe Bay to us. When we, if we had Prudhoe Bay and uh, Gull Island, we would never need one drop of foreign oil ever again. They've deliberately shut it down, and the master of this topic is Lindsay Williams in his book, The Energy Non-Crisis. So they have deliberately made America, North America, dependent on foreign oil, specifically Middle Eastern oil, so that trillions of American dollars or Federal Reserve notes can be siphoned off over there for the benefit of the papacy because one of their goals is the rebuilding of Babylon. There you go. That is very interesting because, of, of course, you know, many, many people are looking at the Iraq war that that's all about oil, but what you're saying is that, that that also is another ruse. That's another front that people on the first level down into the conspiracy, so to speak, can get uh, trapped on, uh, in, within, if you will. Is that right? That's right. This, this great conspiracy is not economic. It is not political. It is religious. Everything is religion because of the mystery Babylon religion that is essentially popery. And so everything they do is based on a mystery Babylon pagan Roman Catholic uh, reason, and one of the things they want to do, as controlled by the Jesuits, because remember the Black Pope controls the papacy, is the rebuilding of the ancient city of Babylon, and the beginning of its building is Dubai. Really? So that's correct. Dubai is the beginning of rebuilding of the ancient area called Babylon, and the treasure city, the huge commercial treasure city of Babylon, according to Jeremiah 58, 51, Revelation 18, Isaiah 14, Babylon must be rebuilt because the ancient Babylon was never destroyed as the Bible says this has to be destroyed. The Bible says the city of Babylon has to be destroyed in one hour by fire. Well, ancient Babylon was never destroyed. So therefore, there must be a Babylon to be rebuilt in the future that will be destroyed this specific way. And so therefore, we are beginning to see the building of ancient Babylon. Uh, America is going to be in Iraq for many, many more decades. They're building the largest embassy in the world there, in the green zone. Mm. There's 14 American bases there. There is no intention of leaving for a long, long time because it's a war of annihilation against the Shia Muslims. To the end, uh, when this is finished, when this papal crusade is finished, then the Vatican will be able to begin to rebuild its commercial capital of the world, which will be situated on the Euphrates River, the ancient city of Babylon. And uh, you mentioned Dubai. That, that's very interesting, I think, because a lot of uh, progress, so to speak, has been going on down there. And, I mean, the, the, the city, some of the cities that they're building up are just, uh, you know, they're incredible, actually, if you look at them. So I've seen some right. picture of it. It's and incredible. It is. Absolutely. And 
Yeah, no, no. I just, I was just also just going to say that they're building some of the. I don't know if you've seen these. They're, these are like uh, islands. They're building uh, right, right out in in, in the ocean. These are. Uh, kind of miniatures of the world. This is like a, a mini a map, actually, of the world where we have uh, condos and things on there, like a city. Uh, and there's numerous things that they're doing. You know, they're bringing in uh, uh, kind of new new technology-type uh, cities that are intelligently controlled. We have a like an RFID infrastructure throughout the entire city, you know. This is incredible. Uh-huh. Yeah. And this, uh, according to the Bible, Babylon, the city of Babylon, will be the commercial center for the coming Antichrist, for the coming beast, who I show in my book, excuse me, is a coming pope, the final pope who will be killed. He will come back to life. He will destroy the Vatican with the ten military kings that he has in Europe. And then he will take, he'll not only go down to Jerusalem, to the third temple, and set his image there, which can talk and speak by the power of his false prophet, but he will also go to his treasure city of Babylon, and it is there that will be the universal commercial center where everyone will be commanded to take his name, his mark, or his number. And the, the control for all of this will be out of the ancient city of Babylon rebuilt. Mm-hmm. Interesting indeed. Uh, if we talk about the Iraq war and, and some of the things that have been uh, going on there, one of the things, of course, that is a huge scandal uh, a few, I guess, uh, almost a year ago now or even more, I, don't, I can't remember, uh, the Blackwater scandal, right? We have the, uh, I think it's the, now the former CEO, Joseph E. e. Schmidt, uh, who were, of course, uh, has connections to both Skull and Bones and, and Knights of Malta, as I understand it. Is that correct, Eric? I'm not sure about Skull and Bones. I, I don't know about that. I haven't seen that, but he is a Knight of Malta. His father was a Knight of Columbus. And so Joseph Schmidt, uh, who is on the board of Blackwater, uh, remember also that he resigned from the Pentagon as an inspector because he was told to invest, uh, investigate Blackwater. So rather than investigate Blackwater, he resigns and he goes to the board of Eric Prince. <laughs> right. Eric Prince was a Dutch Reformed. He converted to Roman Catholicism. And so Blackwater is nothing but a 21st century band of crusaders controlled by the Knights of Malta in this crusade against these uh, uh, infidel Muslims, quote-unquote, justifying their mass murder. And that's what's going on in Iraq right now. It is a mass murder of men, women, and children who are Shiites, who the Pope has targeted as a threat to his temporal and spiritual power, unlike the Sunnis. In fact, the Sunnis are helping the American military and American government annihilate the Shia. Hmm. And yet, on the on the front, of course, Uh, outwardly in the press, in the media, so forth. Uh, Pope Ratzinger, as I call him, uh, is, of course, denouncing the Iraq war, right? He's telling that all the things that are going on there is horrible. Yet he has these uh, underlings uh, from the Knights of Malta prominently involved in both the invasion and the consequent presence in Iraq. So that's uh, a double standard right there, correct? 
That, that's right. See, when you examine the facts, you see that the papacy is totally behind it. When you listen to its rhetoric, you know he's a liar. Because the Pope is the biggest liar in the world. His lies kill millions of people. And so he is outwardly saying this is not our war. But if it's not, if he doesn't want the war, all he would have to do is order his Cardinal Secretary of State to make one phone call to the Papal Nuncio in Washington. And that Papal Nuncio make one phone call to George Bush and tell him to end this war. And George Bush would set in motion the machinery to end this war whenever the Pope wants it ended. That's the kind of power the Pope has. Right, right. Furthermore, we know that 9-11 was, was an inside job. To, for anybody, any thinking individual to believe that 9-11 was not an inside job, he's not evaluating the facts. Right. And I would, I would strongly recommend for your listeners to review Loose Change Number 2. But there are many other good presentations on it. But inside job, the inside job of 9/11 involved the the uh, organized intelligence community of the United States. It all works together. If that's the case, the question is who was in charge of that organized intelligence community on 9/11? Yeah. And that and that answer is one man, George J. Tenet. Right. George J. Tenet, as you probably already know is a member of the Council on Foreign Relations. Yes. The Council on Foreign Relations is America's secret government based out of New York City, begun in 1921, and its overseer is the Archbishop of New York City, and today Edward Cardinal Egan. Hmm. Jo uh, George D. Tennant is also a Knight of Malta. He was educated at the Jesuit School of Foreign Service, founded by Edmund Walsh. Edmund Walsh was the most powerful American Jesuit from 1922 to 1952. He controlled uh, Eisenhower. He controlled uh, FDR. He controlled uh, uh, Truman through the entire duration of the war. Edmund Walsh is the most powerful American Jesuit during this, what I call the Second Thirty Years' War from 1914 to 1945. Mm -hmm. So, and he's also an Knight of Malta. So here we have George J. Kennedy, he's an Knight of Malta. He is tutored by the School of Foreign Service, started by Edmund Walsh. He is a member of the CFR. He's, be, he's beloved of the new president of Georgetown University in uh, Washington. That new president is not a Jesuit. He is a Knight of Malta, John de Goya, and he's also a CFR member. So when you add it all together, it was Archbishop Egan of New York City who ordered 9-11. It was carried out by... DCI, Director of Central Intelligence, George J. Tennant, who was also a national security uh, advisor, and then to cover his tracks and make him not the center point of any attention, he resigns from the CIA. Hmm. So that's how they cover their tracks in this. So this is a papal crusade started by the Knights of Malta, carried out by the Knights of Malta, and when the Vatican makes John McCain president of this country, his campaign manager at this time is another Knight of Malta. So uh, they, they, are, they are fully intending to continue this crusade, and they're uh, going to do a few more things in this country that are going to be uh, to justify the continuation of it. And, and so what you're saying is that this was used, 9-11 then, this was used as a catalyst to enter into the Middle East again and start up another uh, holy crusade, right? That's right. This is just as much of a crusade 
as the nine crusades during the dark ages and the, the, this crusade is uh, of course oil is involved that's the cover and making money for Halliburton and uh, and uh, other major corporations controlled by the Knights of Malta because they're not only going to kill off this Shia population, they're going to make billions of dollars for themselves and also pave the way for the rebuilding of Babylon. But the other thing is they're going to secure Israel, which they call the Latin Kingdom of Jerusalem. Now, as I cover on my CD, the Latin Kingdom of Jerusalem began in 1099 and it ended in 1291. And the Latin Kingdom of Jerusalem was intended by the Pope to be his place of universal worship, but in the providence of God, the Pope really never got power over that kingdom. Hmm. So, um, uh, what happened was, with the end of the Latin Kingdom of Jerusalem in Blah, blah, blah. 
now what we have is the real beginnings of the overthrow of our Fourth Amendment right, our Fifth Amendment right, uh, the implementation of fascism, because the Jesuits have sought to bring a fascist military dictator to power here in America since no later than the 1930s uh, with the quest of uh, John J. Raskob and other Knights of Malta to overthrow, quote-unquote, FDR, and to... to uh, implement this dictatorship under dictatorship. Let's talk a little bit about Georgetown University. For people that, that might not know, uh, this comes up you know, again and again in, in, your, in your work, definitely in Vatican Assassins. We see people that, that attend this university and go there and teach there and so forth. Um, does this, if one goes, if someone goes to Georgetown University or teaches there, does that automatically mean that that person, you know, is is uh, is a Jesuit or endorse that particular theology slash philosophy, or even is of Catholic stock? Um, generally, not necessarily. The most of the people that go there think they're just getting a good education, which is true. But those on the faculty, they know the power of the Jesuit order. And they, if they have watched what's going on, know the direction of things. And they also know that the president, Supreme Court justices, powerful senators and congressmen all meet at Georgetown University on a regular basis to discuss foreign policy, domestic policy, and so on. So, so it doesn't take... A, a real bright individual to see if they're a professor that Georgetown University is the capital of the United States. Hmm. It's only some four miles away from uh, you know, the Capitol Hill. Yeah. yeah. So the so the Jesuits control all foreign and all domestic policy from the West Wing of the White House, added by the Roosevelt conspirators, and. Um, and then uh, that that foreign policy is dictated by the Jesuits from Georgetown as fine-tuned by their think tank called the Council on Foreign Relations. That's how the American government runs. Right, right. And, you know, I think we, we need to begin to round things up here for this segment. I want to I again ask you to uh, give out your website uh, address so people know how they can get a copy of your book, either in ebook form or the, the hardback, I guess. And also tell us again about that PowerPoint CD that you have for available for people. Yes. Okay, to get the CD, the, the book CD, the ebook, it's uh, 40 Federal Reserve Notes plus shipping. And uh, that's 1836 pages that you can view on a computer. Or you can get the book. We printed 100 of them. We have about 40 of them sold, so we have about 60 more to go. Depending on how it sells, would depend on whether or not I print any more of them. And uh, you can get the book for 325 Federal Reserve notes plus shipping. And uh, then you can also get the PowerPoint CD. Now, for your listeners in Sweden, I think the book's a waste of money because all you got to do is get the CD, and then you can take the CD to your own printer in Sweden and have them print it out, and you would pay less for them to print out the book. Uh, then you would have to pay for buying the book and shipping it to Sweden. Hmm. So I would recommend get the CD for only 40 bucks, then print it out in book form, then you have the book, and then you get the PowerPoint CD for 20 bucks, and then that brings you uh, up to snuff as far as Romanism being mystery Babylon religion, Romanism is control of Islam, uh, the Inquisition, the starting of the Jesuits, the Jesuits controlling Bohemia Grove, um, 
all the way to this present crusade, the purposes for Islam, the Jesuits' intent for the destruction of the Orthodox people like Serbia, um, all of that's tied into this extensive CD. It will take you two and a half hours to view it. But with that in conjunction with the book CD or the e-book, you will have a whole package, a wonderful workbook, so to say, that you can then build on your knowledge as you discover new facts. So it keeps the, the reader up. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.